Hey everybody, how are you? We just had an extraordinary Stump the Rabbi lecture, almost three hours. Uh, the first hour and an hour and change is some amazing story about the Maharalmi Prague, the Golem, uh, real life stories, also things about uh, different precious diamonds from the parasha, anti-Semitism, history, lots of stuff. Then after that, we go into some questions and we go and hit the questions on the head. People ask some serious questions. What do we do with uh, people that are, you know, openly uh, transvestites and transgender uh, and trans this and homosexuals and all that craziness that's happening in the world? What do we do with them? We get shut down by one of the uh, applications because people like don't like the answer. Then we have some other questions about what's a rabbi? Who's, you know, who's to say that uh, I should listen to a rabbi? Then there's questions about uh, goyim. Do we have, do they get miracles or is it just the Jews get miracles? And plenty of other questions, like really good stuff. I had a lot of good times with this. Uh, got uh, got to me. Some of these questions, the last one especially about the rabbi, got to me. I uh, uh, had to contain myself from crying just because uh, there's so much more work to do. So enjoy it. Let me know uh, what you think and make sure to share it because... Other people need to learn too. School needs what? We're back here on our Wednesday night program of Stumped the Rabbi. We're after some divret Torah about the weekly parashat, different events that are happening out there. We will uh, ask the crowd to ask as many questions as possible, and Be'ezad Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the answers. Tonight's show will be for the Refua Shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah. Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah, Bat Anat, Avimori, David ben Nesriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora, and also for the Atzlacha Rabba, for all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahais that continue to learn with us, support the cause, and all the things that we're doing at the organization, Baruch Hashem. So, uh, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of material, a lot of interesting things. Uh, one of the things I want to remind everyone that wants to donate, wants to support, uh, because if we don't remind, people simply forget. Uh, if you want to donate, you can go to our website, beezrathashem.org, B-E-E-Z-R-A-T-H-A-S-H-E-M.org. Uh, or you could donate on the app, or you could donate on Facebook, or you could donate even on YouTube now. Uh, for anyone that wants to do a monthly program, $20, $50, $100, whatever it is, we even have an option on YouTube where you could subscribe, but this is purely for donation purposes then you can do that too. Uh, really just, you know, putting uh, donations for Torah as part of your life, especially when you make it something that you do on a regular basis, is one of the greatest things that a person can do for the sake of bringing blessings to their life uh, during times of trouble. The Gemara says that if a person sees that their money is uh, being uh, lost, where they're losing money in investments, they're losing their job, they're losing things, the Gemara says a person should give tzedakah. 
they could actually, you know, should give uh, more tzedakah. Now, this, rationally speaking, if a person is looking from the business perspective of things, financial perspective of things, if he asks his uh, financial advisor or accountant if that makes any sense, they're all going to say no. If you're losing money, the last thing you want to do is give charity. The last thing you want to do is give tzedakah because that means you'll have even less money. But of course, we work based on a divine law. And the divine law tells us simply that if a person wants to have more blessings in their life, they have to do as much as possible to uh, support the Torah. Why? Because this helps people fulfill, fulfill their objective in life, fulfill the purpose of life. And the more a person supports Torah, the more they're earning merits. The more they're earning merits, the more they're giving God a reason to give them even more uh, panasat, to give them even more sustenance. Because when a, uh, the uh, sages taught us the Mishnah, they taught us that schar mitzvah mitzvah. The Mishnah in Masechet Avot says that the reward for a mitzvah is another mitzvah. Why is the reward for a mitzvah another mitzvah and not simply a penthouse or maybe a new Lamborghini, perhaps maybe a uh, diamond that is priceless or a, uh, one of these paintings that people call priceless. Why not that? The Rambam explains that the amount of reward that a person gets for any mitzvah is not something that's quantifiable by this world's standards. As the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, uh, Perik Chelek, the 11th chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin, says that each righteous person that fulfills their, uh, their, their goal, their tikkun in this world, gets 310 worlds. 310 worlds. Just imagine an entire world created for you with all of the greatest things you can possibly imagine magnified in infinity. 310 of those. So this is for the mitzvot that a person fulfilled in their life. Now, to measure that versus anything in this world, whether it be wealth or a beautiful uh, a house or a beautiful wife or kids or anything like that, you simply cannot measure. So the, uh, the Rambam explains that since even the smallest mitzvah will earn a person an extraordinary amount of reward, there's simply no possible way for God to give you a reward in this world for your mitzvot. So why do some people get a more money or houses or, or even tell you, listen, if you donate, you'll, uh, you'll get even more blessing. Why is that? Because there's a principle in the Torah that tzchar mitzvah mitzvah, which is the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah, meaning that when Hashem sees that a person is doing a mitzvah, then Hashem will give him an opportunity, a reward to do another mitzvah, in essence, giving him an opportunity to earn more reward. And the reason why the mitzvah of tzedakah for the sake of publicizing Torah, earns a person more money is because when a person gives money for the sake of publicizing the Torah, God sees that, oh, so you like my Torah, you're even willing to put the money that I gave you for the sake of the Torah, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it again. How? Since you have now less money. So what do I do? I'll just give you more money. So when a person donates money for the sake of the Torah, God gives them even more. Uh, money in order for him to continue doing that mitzvah over and over again and hence the reason why the sages teach us that if a person sees that he's losing money the best thing that he can do is give tzedakah and earn himself more merit more blessings now of course god doesn't dance to our tune uh, and doesn't necessarily give us the reward or the ability to do another mitzvah immediately as soon as we want because that would uh, affect our free will. But generally speaking, this is something that works and no one in the history of mankind has ever lost by doing the will of Hashem. 
uh, by the, doing the will of God. So it's uh, important for a person to be patient. It's important for a person to have faith in Hashem when they're giving. But more than anything else, it's extremely important for a person to give it to the right cause. There are many causes out there. There are many organizations out there that call themselves non-profit, even though in reality they're very, very profitable. And uh, they're, they're, um, some of their executives are uh, living in their third, fourth, or 15th houses and, uh, and are flying private jets. Obviously, these are not the type of causes you want to support. You don't want to buy anybody a plane. You don't want to buy anybody a second or third house. You want to support the cause itself. Of course, you need to help the people that are running it. They need to get uh, uh, the ability to do what they're doing. But when people become excessive on other people's accounts, then you realize that their cause and their uh, uh, their uh, actual... Uh, um, behavior are two completely different things so it's important for a person to always evaluate what am i getting out of this organization what is the world getting out of this organization i mean they may be big they may be popular but that doesn't necessarily make them good that doesn't make them a good spiritual investment what's actually coming out of this are people doing tshuva as a result of this organization's teachings are people getting closer to god as a result of this organization's teachings or are simply people just uh you know donating without really having any idea what's going on they're all staying wicked they're all staying completely the opposite of what they're supposed to so this is one of the things that a person needs to know when they're investing their uh, their money into a torah organization they have to look at it no different than they would look at an investment into a house a building a stock Anything that you would do, do your research, do your homework, and only invest into things that you have a personal stake in, where you actually care about the organization, not because you just like somebody or you go to their synagogue, but rather because you see that there is a benefit to you and to others for this organization to actually continue growing. So with that being said, Baruch Hashem, there is a lot of need that our organization has. We're continuing to grow the number of employees and volunteers that the organization has. Anyone that wants to volunteer to uh, help us grow is more than welcome to, but also uh, people that are in the field of, uh, of technology, such as uh, coding and uh, uh, things that have to do with technology aspect. Also, uh, if they are looking for more work, if they're looking for uh, opportunities either to volunteer or even to uh, work full-time uh, definitely reach out because there's a lot more need for that now than ever before so with that being said we're going to go into our parasha try to see uh, really today's world you know through the light of the holy Torah now one of the things that we're doing here is we're starting a new book we're starting the book of Exodus Sefer Shemot and Sefer Shemot first first thing that we find out about is a reality check a reality check of the jewish people throughout the exile a reality check to the jewish people throughout all of history well all of a sudden after years and years of calm and peace and everything good our uh, you know whatever country hosted us turns into our enemy our, our our friends or what we thought were our friends our allies turn into our enemies and this is not something that happened only in egypt it just began in egypt anti-semitism wasn't something that was a uh, only a one-time thing during the holocaust this is literally the history of the jewish people and it's one of the tools that god uses in order to actually keep us pure in order to keep us close to the torah because many times the jewish people forget once they uh, god gives them success in the book of deuteronomy god says uh don't forget me after i bless you why would we forget god after he blesses us because unfortunately it's the nature of a person to uh, to not be grateful 
It's one of the most disgusting things in the world when a person gets a lot of good and instead of returning good, he returns you evil. But this is the nature of people that are uh, not living a life of Torah. And what ends up happening is that sometimes this also affects people that are living a life of Torah, but they forget to say thank you. They forget to appreciate. They forget to do what they promised. And they forget to be grateful either to the one that gave them or the one that created them or both. Now, this is one of the things that unfortunately Am Yisrael made a mistake in. They made a mistake. They didn't listen to Yosef, uh, which was the viceroy of Egypt, who told them to stay at Goshen so they would separate themselves from the Egyptians, so they don't assimilate, so they don't uh, uh, grab the attention of people. But unfortunately, they didn't listen. And they started uh, succeeding more and more, and therefore they wanted to expand. No different than what happened to us throughout all of history, whether it was the uh, Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Spaniards, the Greeks, the Romans, the uh, Nazis, all of these different nations that hosted us, that uh, uh, were at some point, uh, you know, uh, people that we could live with ended up becoming very, very big enemies. To, you know, some of them were enemies right off the bat, some of them enemies later on. But what we saw during the Holocaust, for anyone that learned Torah, was nothing new. In fact, many of the sages of that time uh, predicted that this was going to happen as a result of the evil actions of the Jewish people, where not evil actions to their friends and to their uh, hosting country, uh, per se, but rather evil actions towards their God, their Creator, where they abandoned the Torah, where they started living a more secular life, creating Zionism and Reform Judaism and Conservative Judaism and, and all types of different cults and segments uh, that uh, were literally antithetical to the Holy Torah. Now, of course, many of the non-Jews out there that are not familiar with the Torah, not familiar with Judaism altogether, think that Judaism and Zionism are synonymous. But the truth be told is that the two could not be any different from each other. Judaism and Zionism are actually polar opposites. Zionists are not just secularists. They're actually against the Torah. They're communists. They're against the Torah in every aspect as that was their foundational principles. In fact, the... uh, uh, one of the founders of Zionism, Herzl, he himself converted to Christianity and uh, wanted to, uh, did not even give Brit Milah, circumcision to his son, Hans, uh, called him obviously a non-Jewish name and wanted to convert all of the Jewish people to Christianity because he thought that this was a wonderful way to uh, eliminate anti-Semitism by simply eliminating Jews. Now, of course, these evil people did not stop, but today's Zionism is not necessarily the same exact animal as it was when it first started. It's not good today either, but needless to say, it has transformed because there are different parts of Zionism today where there are some Zionists that are religious Jews that are observant, but they, they consider Zionism simply the love of the land and the Jewish people. But the true Zionism, per se, the one that's really uh, causes a lot of problems for the Jewish people and the world at large, that's a Zionism that's against the Torah, that is antithetical to the Torah, that is a communist belief system that simply wants to do nothing uh, but to uh, destroy any belief in God whatsoever. So a person has to understand that before they hate, before they love, before they have any opinion about something, at the very least, educate yourself. One of the things that drives me crazy uh, time and time again is when I see people comment on the videos before they even watch them. Uh, they simply decide that they know what the video is going to say 
just because of the name i mean haven't you heard of the expression don't uh, judge a book by its cover apparently people haven't read enough books in order to even hear the expression but needless to say many people jump to conclusions and this is not for just from the jewish world this is the whole world at large people jump to conclusions immediately people are uh, now feeling bad for the wicked person named shmuli Boter who considers himself a rabbi and even America's number one rabbi, but the reality is there's no one more wicked than this person who has desecrated the name of God in recent years like he does, his daughter does, with all of the horrible behavior that they have. But he, of course, fiends the attention, loves attention, and in the last few days he was assaulted verbally by a couple of uh, Arabs that uh, said free Palestine. Now, of course, it's never nice to hear some terrorists say free Palestine and tell you that they hate Jews and such and such, but I feel no bad whatsoever for Shmuley Boter, not because of this particular, but that's because he brings this stuff on himself. He brings this stuff on himself. He lives for this. He looks for any attention that he possibly gets, that he can get, regardless of what it takes. If that means supporting homosexuals, that's against the Torah, he'll do that too. He'll support the homosexuals. If that means making vile videos where he's grabbing the crotch of of some other male member uh, out there, he'll do that. He'll post that online. Now, it's enough that you did something terrible like that. It's even more disgusting that you're actually publicizing this stuff. If it's uh, publicizing his daughter, his daughter's sex shop, in Israel, he'll do that. Why? That gets attention. So the guy is an evil person and is antithetical to the Torah. But of course, there are going to be some people reading the headlines, seeing that you know Mr. Shmuley Boter got assaulted by a couple of rabbis that don't like Jews, and they feel bad for the guy. The truth is, this is a person that brought this on himself because he is constantly looking for attention, and he will do anything possible for it. Unfortunately. At the time of uh, at the time of the Exodus, the Jewish people made certain sins, made certain sins that put them in a bad situation. Whether it was uh, idolatry, whether it was a uh, abandoning certain uh, uh, laws of the Masoret of the tradition that we have, including circumcision, there are certain things that they did that put them in a bad position. But more than anything else, this all began with the fact that we wanted to become like the Gentiles. We wanted to become like the, uh, uh, like the Egyptians by moving out of Goshen and going into the city. This is obviously a problem that continues to recur. And uh, many times we see that in the beginning, it's all nice. In the beginning, it's interesting. In the beginning, they even befriend us. They do business with us. But it's only a matter of time before Hashem turns on the Esav button and uh, the Goim start to hate us before they decide that it's time to annihilate the Jews and cause another pogrom or, or, or holocaust and so on. This is a repeated story throughout history. And the only thing that a person can do uh, in order to stop uh, this from happening is simply sanctify themselves, learn the Torah, learn from our traditions, learn from our mitzvot, learn from uh, our creator, to, to know how to behave, to know what to do, and sanctify yourself to the point where you have this spiritual protection, especially now where we are in a generation of the Mashiach, where as soon as the Mashiach comes, there's not going to be any more opportunities for a uh, for doing tshuva. This is the last stop on this train that's been going on for thousands of years, and everybody that doesn't do tshuva is literally missing the opportunity of eternity, not just a lifetime. Now, 
The parasha starts with uh, a, a, a very critical point where the uh, parashat Shmot says, "Ve'ele Shmot bnei Yisrael abayim Yitzrayma et Yaakov ishu b'teu ba'u Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, Binyamin, Dan ve'Naftali, Gad ve'Asher, ve'ikol nefesh yotzei yerech Yaakov shivim nefesh ve'Yosef ayab b'Mitzrayim." Translation. And these are the names of the children of Israel. This was the new name for Yaakov, who were coming to Egypt with Yaakov. Each man is called both Yaakov and Israel. One is uh, uh, relevant to his uh, prophetic side when he's prophesizing, and one is not. Uh, with Yaakov, each man in his household came Reuven, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda, Issachar, Zvulun, and Binyamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all of the persons who emerged from Yaakov's loins were 70 souls. And, the, and Yosef was in Egypt. Now, one of the things that a person will notice is that this is information we already have. We've already heard this in the previous uh, uh, book, in the book of Genesis. And in fact, why do we need to know this again? Anytime, anytime that you learn Torah, you'll notice that there's a rule. There are rules for every single uh, um, interpretation, every single uh, uh, biblical exegesis, there are rules. Anytime that a sentence starts with a certain word, anytime that there is a uh, a, a place mentioned in a, in a sentence, uh, anytime it mentions, for example, uh, uh, that uh, on that day, uh, or, you know, this is telling you that this is a, uh, a divine intervention into something that had to happen. Uh, so there are different rules. Now, one of the things that we see in the Torah is that anytime something is mentioned mul- multiple times, the reason for it is because this is a critical point. This is a critical point that we have to remember because it will hold uh, hold up the test of time if a person understands what's the significance of this rule. And one of the things that we see from this particular point is that this sentence is mentioned multiple times in the Torah, in the book of Genesis, here and later on in the Torah, and we hear about these 70 souls, these 70 souls, these 70 souls. And one of the ways that a person uh, uh, sees from here, aside from the importance of it, is that the number 70 is very, very specific. It's not 69, it's not 71, it's not 73, it is 70. And this is one of the fundamental proofs that discredits the entire New Testament being divine and being anything that is relevant in truth to the Holy Torah. Because the New Testament, in the uh, which we like to call the False Testament, was a man-made document that has endless amount of mistakes. And one of the things that people don't understand is that if the New Testament were to be a divine document and thereby a continuation of the Old Testament, i.e. our Torah, our Tanakh, that means that the two cannot contradict each other. The New Testament cannot contradict the Old Testament. They have to agree. The moment the New Testament disagrees with the Old Testament, that already throws it into the garbage because into the garbage because there is a something called a postulate that uh, our dear friend Rav Tobias Singer taught over the years, which is that the Torah can be true and the New Testament can be true, as you know, logically speaking, the Torah can be true and the New Testament can be false. That is also a reality. But it's not possible 
for the Torah to be false and the New Testament to be true because the New Testament relies and depends on the truth of the Torah. So here we see that if we find a contradiction, a mistake in the New Testament, that means that the New Testament in its entirety is a false document and one of the many mistakes and perhaps probably the most popular mistakes that's in the New Testament is found in the book of Acts uh, chapter 7 verse number 14 where they say that Yaakov came down to Egypt with 75 people and for the last 2,000 years the Christians have been trying to get themselves out of this hole with all types of convoluted explanations of why it's this and of course any pastor priest or missionary that you speak to will give you a different argument and that's because there is no argument there is no uniform argument everyone will give you a completely different excuse of why it is because there's really no legitimate reason now if they're going to bring you some type of book that was written by a person over the last 20 30 or even 100 years that gives you an excuse this is not a valid argument and the reason why because by default anyone that is learning the Torah or even the New Testament today has information that is in essence supposed to be part of a tradition which means that this information is not new it is actually uh relying on the shoulders on on the back breaking efforts of the previous generation which means that if somebody came up with an excuse of why there is 75 in the New Testament versus 70 in the Torah today that means that there has to be a tradition over the last 2000 years since this idolatrous religion began uh that is in essence saying the same thing and that's one of the things that you will never find you're not going to find the people's arguments today from christianity and missionizing and what they call themselves uh, messianic jews you're not going to find that their arguments have any legs to stand on if you look back to the foundation if you look back three four five six hundred years a thousand years fifteen hundred years you'll see that the arguments are just simply new innovations just to get themselves out of the hole so we see that the torah put a special emphasis on this number why because this is going to be something that will withstand the test of time will stand the test of time for all people that educate themselves about the truth that really want the truth and do not want to be part of a religion of falsehood they'll see that it's very quickly something that uh, uh, you can prove that once you have a mistake in the new testament that already makes it not divine and of course there's endless amount of mistakes in the uh, new testament and those that are going to come and say yeah but there's also contradictions in the torah like i said if you didn't study enough Torah, you're not going to understand anything. But most importantly, you have to understand that if even, let's say, for example, logically speaking, you would say, oh, there's there's uh, contradictions or mistakes in the Torah, then that in essence negates both religions because the Torah cannot be false and the New Testament truth. So this is one of the things that both Islam and Christianity have to obviously admit. And anyone that's a biblical scholar knows that to be the case. So we see that the Holy Torah gives us a very important fact about the 70 neshamot. We also see that the, uh, the um, sages gave us a clarification of how did Am Yisrael grow so rapidly? Where, where did this all happen? And in the uh, verse number 7 in this week's parasha, chapter 1, verse number 7, it says, Ubnei Yisrael paru veishretzu veirbu veyatsmu be'me'od me'od, v'timalea aretz otam. 
The uh, Torah says here that the children of Israel were fruitful, teamed, multiplied, and became mighty, very, very much so, and the land became filled with them. So why do we need all of these adjectives? Uh, I mean, it's, okay, if they grew, they grew. That's it. Like, why so many adjectives? Why describe it in so many different ways? In fact, in six different ways. Our holy sages tell us the reason why God put this in this way, why he used multiple words to describe the growth of Am Yisrael, is to teach us a very critical lesson. There was miraculous births in every single house where each birth would yield six children. Every pregnancy, six babies. The only tribe that did not merit to have six babies at a time, of course you knew it, that's the tribe of Levi. That's why there's no six Moses. That's why there's no six Aaron or six Miriams. There is no six of them. Everyone else, all of the other tribes, each one had six babies at a time, which means if the average family had, let's say, 10 births, 60 kids. By the time you finish breakfast, you have to get ready for tomorrow's breakfast. By the time you put on the clothes for the first 10 kids, uh, you, you have to obviously say goodnight to the rest of them. Literally, you have an enormous amount of children in every family except the Levy tribe. Why? Why except the Levy tribe? Were they cursed? Were they punished? No, absolutely not. This was one of the ways that Hashem wanted to show Am Yisrael that He is the one that runs the world, that He is the one that's putting this difficulty on them. And in fact, He is the one that will show us that we will prosper in the end by putting this blessing of having more children on the families that are suffering the most. Because the Levi tribe did not suffer in the same way because they were not slaves. They were not slaves for multiple reasons. One of them was because of one of the rules that was instituted by Yosef. Yosef, when he was a viceroy, he made a special city and special rules for the priests, for the people of religion. As, a, uh, as part of his prophecy, he knew that this whole thing is going to happen in Egypt one day, and he wanted to protect the people of the Torah, the people that were the priests, but he couldn't just say, protect my people. So he made a national law. Anyone that's a person of religion does not have to pay taxes, cannot become a slave, has special treatment, can go in and out of the country, and so on and so forth. So since the Levi tribe did not, uh, uh, there were people of religion, there were people of the, uh, uh, of the Torah, they were not slaves, and that's why Hashem did not give them that extra blessing. So this was also one of the things that we learned. Later on, we also see in verse number 10 where Paro who pretends like he doesn't know Yosef, the very same Yosef that they're using his laws till that day for to protect the priests, to protect the people of religion. He claims not to know who he is, but he does claim that he cannot stand the fact that there are so many Jewish people there. Why are there so many Jews? We don't understand. He gets scared. Why are you scared? Why are you scared? I mean, they built your economy. They built your country. They're productive people. What makes you scared? The Midrash Rabbah tells us that at this time there was a war between the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. And the, uh, and the Egyptians were scared that the Jewish people were going to join the Ethiopians and take over. Uh, this is uh, one of the things that uh, caused Paro to be afraid. And uh, he said, well, if there's going to be a war, as it says in the verses, they may join our enemy. And he says, Avanit Malo. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's fool them. Let's fool them. Let's outwit them, these people, well, and turn them into slaves. How did he do it? Very simple. Greed. That's the way to destroy any people. You destroy them with greed. 
And this is unfortunately what happened to us as a people. Where Paro said, listen, you know, we, uh, we have gone through ups and downs and everything, but it's time to build the country, to take it to the next uh, level, to be patriotic. Let's rebuild. Uh, let's uh, forget our businesses, forget our uh, uh, everything else. Everyone work for the country. In so many words, the days of uh, communism, if you will. Uh, and uh, he pretended like he's working. Many of the Jews joined him very quickly because he promised them that they're going to make a lot more money working for the government than they would work for themselves. So they closed down their shops. But of course, shortly later, he did not pay them. He just lowered the salaries and lowered the salaries until their businesses all went to nothing. And before you know it, they all became slaves. So the only tribe that did not get affected by this was again the Levi tribe that did not follow the uh, the uh, uh, enticement of Paro because they were too busy learning Hashem's Torah. Now again, when people are uh, hearing this for the first time, they're saying, "Wait a minute! Didn't we get the Torah and Mount Sinai? You know, years later? Yes, but there was still an oral Torah. The oral Torah was already something that we had since creation." And that's what the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah says that Avraham Avinu had a tractate Avodah Zarah that had 400 chapters. Some say even 600 chapters, which in so many words means that his tractate of Avodah Zarah uh, was more extensive than our entire Talmud today. Now, Avodah Zarah doesn't necessarily mean just idolatry. It's anything that's foreign to the law of God. So this all had to do with character traits. If someone is an egotistical, arrogant, uh, angry person, stingy, all of these flawed character traits were in this were taught in this character trait, which was one of the ways that Avraham uh, learned how to perfect himself. So we see here that the oral Torah has been around for a very, very long time. The Levi tribe dedicated their lives to it, while the Egyptians fooled the rest of the nation. And before you know it, these friends these allies these neighbors quickly became our enemies and unfortunately this is something that has repeated itself throughout history most recently in germany where we had a uh, the uh, many many jews live in europe many jews loved living in germany so much so that they started calling uh, berlin the capital of germany their jerusalem uh, of course, the assimilation in Germany was at the highest level, uh, uh, you know, in comparison to the rest of the world. There was over 90% assimilation. Jews were converting to Catholicism, Christianity. Jews were marrying Gentiles. And one of the worst things that a person can possibly experience is when they see that that German wife, that German husband, turns him into the uh, the Nazis, the SS soldiers, when the Holocaust officially began. And uh, while they're standing online to go into the concentration camps, his uh, German wife is holding their baby. And of course, this was a not just one or two or three times uh, the story, but this was many, many Jews suffered through this agony of realizing that their spouse that claimed to love them in reality just turned them into the Nazi haters that uh, the, uh, the, the ally uh, became the enemy in the worst possible way. Now, this is something that uh, uh, has repeated itself throughout history. And uh, of course, there's a lot to learn from it. But there's so many other precious diamonds in this parasha. I'm going to go a little faster and try to go into other details, things that we haven't covered before. 
One of the famous things that we learned from this parasha is through the story of uh, Shifra and Brua, the, uh, the, two, uh, um, the two midwives, which was really Yochevet and Miriam, the, uh, the mother of Moshe and the uh, daughter of, uh, of, uh, of Yochevet, uh, the sister of, uh, of Moshe. That they were the midwives. They were the midwives that would deliver the babies, which Parot told them, you know, you have to, you work for me, you have to follow my commands. If you see that the uh, Jewish wives are having boys, kill the baby, but don't tell them, just tell them the baby got sick. In the beginning, he tried to do this behind the scenes so there's no revolt. Later on, it becomes, you know, open season and he kills everybody, including the Egyptian babies including the Egyptian babies, because he hears from his necromancers, you know, that there's going to be a, a, a Jewish baby that uh, is going to take over, is going to destroy you. Uh, and uh, this is a, uh, something that you have to fight, but he didn't know which house is going to be, since they also told him there's going to be in Egypt, it's going to be in an Egyptian household. So what did he do? He instituted a law to kill all of the firstborn babies, including the Egyptians. Question is, how did the Egyptians agree to this? Which we'll get to in a moment. But one of the things that we see from Shifra and Pua, we hear from Yochevet and Miriam, is that they withstood the test. When he told them to kill the babies, they didn't listen to him. And they came up with a very clever excuse that the Jewish women don't need midwives. They already give uh, birth like animals. Uh, they, they're, uh, uh, of course... Uh, the Egyptians hated the Jews so much that uh, they liked hearing that they're like animals, but at the same time, the plan to kill the Jewish babies wasn't working for them. Hashem protected. Hashem protected uh, Miriam and uh, Harmam Yochevet, and in fact, rewarded them even in this world. And this is actually one of the things that Arav uh, Avadiah, Shalom, taught us. Uh, that actually, and by the way, this shoe is also going for the Ilui Nishmat of Arav uh, Ba'adani, who uh, just passed away today, one of the Gdolei Ador, may Hashem elevate his neshama to the highest possible levels, and Bezot Hashem, may we merit to uh, to uh, to get to even a, uh, uh, an inkling of the Torah and Chesed and all the good that he did in this world. Unfortunately, we are in a generation of orphans where one Gadol after another is leaving this world, which is actually one of the prophecies uh, that the Gemara uh, in Masechet Sanhedrin, as well as Masechet uh, Sota, and many other places says that before Mashiach comes, that the uh, there's going to be uh, the Gdoleado, the biggest sages in the world, will uh, will become uh, you know less and less, meaning they're going to pass away, and there's not going to be uh, many to replace them. It's going to be a generation of orphans, and that's actually what we've been seeing in recent years: one giant sage after another passing away, with pretty much nobody. Uh, nobody uh, following in their footsteps, nobody, uh, you know, big enough to fill in their shoes, whether it was Rav Vadya, Rav Shalom Cohen, Rav Kanievsky, uh, Rav Steinemann, now we have Rav Badani. Unfortunately, we are in a very, very uh, horrific situation where a person has to realize that the only way that they could survive spiritually and otherwise is by delving into the Torah to the highest power, not simply depend on uh, being spoon-fed, like many people do. Uh, So the story of Yochevet and Miriam being saved is in itself a Jewish story. Why? Because the strong women of Am Yisrael have been the ones that not only uh, have have brought us all the blessings throughout the generations, where the uh, Gemara says that the merit of the Jewish women is going to be why 
of the holy Jewish women is going to be why the Mashiach is going to come. The merit of the Jewish women. And in fact, for the merit of the Jewish women, the holy Jewish women that were not promiscuous, were not immodest, there were holy women. There was only one act of immodesty in the entire uh, uh, two-century uh, time frame of Egypt. Only one woman uh, named Shulamit Badivri uh, that uh, was a uh, promiscuous act. Uh, the rest of the Jewish women, God himself testifies, they're all holy, they're all preserved, they're all modest, they're all amazing. And it's because of their merit that we actually got out of Egypt. And it's because of their merit why the Mashiach is going to come. Shlomit Badivri, she obviously uh, uh, made a mistake because she was too friendly to the non-Jews. She was too friendly to the Egyptians. In fact, the Midrash Shmueli says that when the Egyptians saw her, when the Egyptians saw her, she in essence acted with him in such a way where she showed interest in him. She was interested in him and that's why he felt at home to send her husband away and sleep with her. Now, uh, this obviously resulted in, uh, in a child that was the blasphemer who uh, we find out about later on in the Torah. But the holy sages teach us that her getting raped, her being with this Egyptian, didn't just happen because of bad luck. It didn't happen to anybody else. It only happened to her because she put her uh, 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 herself in a position for these things to happen. And Hashem runs the world based on measure for measure. She was a uh, uh, promiscuous uh, with her speech or provocative or, or she was uh, simply putting her as a married woman is not supposed to talk to strange men other than the basic necessities of uh, thank you and cordiality there's no reason for you to have any friendliness with anybody needless to say a non-jew but even for jews and unfortunately today many women do not know the uh, the laws of the torah they do not know the laws of modesty they think that if they simply cover themselves with some uh, some dress that completes their modesty test and that's no you know there's nothing further from the truth there's a uh, one of the most critical parts of modesty is the way a woman behaves how she talks and if a woman is uh, too friendly with other men if a woman is uh, uh, flirtatious with other men she's violating the torah She's violating the Torah, and this is actually what happened to Shulamit Badivri. This is why Hashem allowed her to uh, get uh, uh, to get raped by this Egyptian, and some say it wasn't even rape. Literally, she enticed the guy. She enticed the Egyptian, and she was the wife of Dotan, the evil Dotan and Aviram. She was his wife, and that's actually one of the reasons of why they fought. Now, one of the things we see as far as the, the, the Jewish women, the, the holy Jewish women, is that they weren't just holy at the time of Egypt. They were not just going to be holy at the time before Mashiach comes. The Jewish women that delved in, that, that glued themselves to the uh, Torah withstood some of the most difficult tests. Uh, and this is why it's uh, critical for women to know that the more you uh, glue yourself and, and cleave to the Torah, the more you're going to get protection. The more your family is going to get protection. In fact, the more blessing you're going to have in your life, in your marriage, in your kids and everything else. Now, when it comes to midwives, I know that today, for whatever reason or another, people feel like going back to ancient times. Instead of going to use modern day technology, go to hospitals, use doctors, use medicine, use everything else. For whatever reason or another, in recent years, the whole uh, uh, industry of midwives uh, has uh, has taken a rise where, uh, you know, it's multiple, multiple uh, uh, women that are uh, students or followers of our lectures have asked me, uh, countless questions about whether they can use a midwife 
uh, instead of going to the hospital, either because they didn't have a good experience in the hospital the last time they gave birth, or because they simply think it's better because they heard it from one of their friends, and this is literally every other day I get somebody asking me about these midwives. And I've spoken about this extensively with Rabbi Ephraim. And the reality is this is not a good idea. Why? Because regardless of how nice and how great the bedside manner is of this midwife, if all hell breaks loose, something bad happens, she has to take you to that. You have to go to the hospital because they don't have the tools and the ability and even the permission to do the things to actually help you, which in so many words, many times what ends up happening with these midwives is that they just become your friend. They, they just, that's, that's really all it is. They become your friend. And this is obviously too much of a sensitive time during your pregnancy to uh, look for friends. You have to obviously make sure that you're healthy. You have to make sure that uh, you're, uh, you're doing everything you need to do. And it's, I highly recommend for people to stop looking back at, uh, at the, uh, uh, at the time of Egypt and tried to emulate the Jews of Egypt in this regard and uh, start using a midwife because you don't like to go to doctors and you don't like to go to hospitals because at the end of the day, if, uh, if something bad happens, this, is a, this midwife will not be able to do anything for you. And uh, the reason why I even mention something bad, because people say, yeah, what are you, wishing bad on us? No, the Mishnah in Masechet Shabbat says there are specific times where women die. And when is it? Pregnancy. Why? Now, of course, Baruch Hashem, uh, Hashem had uh, mercy on us that it's a it's, it's much lower percentage of women uh, get to such a point, uh, you know, in today's world. But it still happens. It still happens. Not too long ago, somebody sent me a, a, a horrible message that their, uh, their, their wife died during uh, uh, delivery. So it does happen. It does happen. And the reality is, is that the reason why the Gemara explains is because when a woman is delivering a baby, when a woman is pregnant, especially when she's delivering a baby, that is considered a moment of risk, a moment of vulnerability, and her merits are being test are being uh, uh, calculated at that point. Her merits, her sins are being calculated at that point, and if a uh, if there is a uh, uh, opportune time for the Satan to take a person's neshama, this is it. So it's not something that you want to play with. It's certainly not something you want to play with. It's not, certainly not something that a person wants to add to the risk. Uh, so again, the advice from Rabbi Ephraim, myself, and other chachamim that I've spoken to, use the traditional, the best doctors you can find. The, uh, you know, of course, for, you know, the female doctor is the uh, uh, most, uh, that's Orthodox Jew, is the highest uh, 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 level. But if there's no female doctor that's an Orthodox Jew available, then of course, if you could uh, use a female doctor that's even not Orthodox Jew, but still a female doctor. If that's not possible for whatever reason, uh, then, uh, you know, a male doctor that's an Orthodox Jew is also okay. It's again, it's preferable to be a female Orthodox Jew. And the reason for that is because they're, they're familiar with the halachot. They're familiar with the, uh, uh, you know, removing the blood uh, in order to make the recovery uh, 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 take less time. So you're not nida for as long. There's a lot of intricate details when it comes to the halacha of pregnancy and so on. So a woman has to do herself a service by not looking for a friend during their time of, of pregnancy, not looking for people that are nice, not looking to be uh, 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 popular or, or, or in the, uh, uh, the new mode, but rather to be halachically correct.
Now, the stories that we have in our tradition when it comes to uh, when it comes to midwives obviously are are, are numerous, and uh, perhaps the most uh, extraordinary story that I've told in over the years uh, and uh, is actually what happened at the time of uh, Rabbi Akadosh where the uh, there was a decree that you're uh, not allowed to circumcise your kids but uh, his father Rabban Gamliel still circumcised them and they changed uh, him and uh, uh, Antoninus who was a non-Jew at the time uh, but uh, one of the uh, uh, children of royalty and they changed the babies and they switched them the parents agreed to switch them in order to show the uh the caesar that uh the the baby didn't get circumcised now i've told the story in the past i'm not going to say it again the point being is the stories with babies midwives all that stuff they're always very very interesting but the aside from this story i think that the most extraordinary story is the one that i'm about to tell you one of the great sages that lived about five or six hundred years ago that in fact many of the uh, great uh, uh, Hasidic uh, leaders came from, whether it's the Rabbi Zalman Miliadi, the founder of Chabad, or uh, or Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, and many many other great sages came from him to were his descendants. But one of the great sages that you actually see in commentary of the Gemara, uh, commentary in the Chumash, you see his his work everywhere is the Maharal Miprag. The Maral Miprag is a, uh, a real name was Rabbi uh, Yehuda Lau uh, Ben Betzalel. And the Maral Miprag, he is uh, no, well known for, uh, aside obviously from the uh, Torah commentary and the extraordinary amount of, uh, of, of Torah that he learned and taught, he's known as the uh, one that created the Golem. The Golem, which is in essence taking the, uh, uh, the, the earth and using Kabbalistic knowledge, creating a person. Now, these, these golems were also made at the time of the Gemara. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin has a story where there is a uh, one sage makes a golem and sends this golem to his friend at the Bet Midrash. Who knows that this is a golem immediately because they can't speak. Uh, only Hashem give, you know, gives the, uh, the power to speak. So these golems cannot speak, but they were created throughout time as one of the tools that Am Yisrael used to protect the Jewish people if they were... Uh, Jewish women being uh, 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 being raped or, or being attacked or kidnapped. So at this time of the Maral Prague, there was an extraordinary amount of uh, uh, blood libels. Uh, and uh, one of the enemies of Am Yisrael was a, um, a Christian by the name of Todos. He was the literally the arch enemy of the Jewish people and of the Maral Prague. And uh, each year there would be a, uh, a, a pogrom uh, possibility because, uh, you know, before Pesach, their vile teachings uh, that are complete, full of stupidity and falsehood, that the Jews make their matzah with blood, you know, with non-Jewish blood in them, was publicized in the churches. And many times this would cause... Uh, 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 not just animosity, but outright a pogrom, because many times these Christian haters of Jews would take it the next step and actually murder one of their own people, or just simply find a dead body somewhere, take this body, put it in the backyard or the community of the of the Jews in a Jewish ghetto, and then you know pretend like they're looking for him with the whole community, and happen to be founding him in the Jewish community, and this would obviously cause. A huge amount of blood being spilled, kosher blood, holy blood being spilled for no reason, just simply because of hatred.
Now, the Maharal Miprag created this uh, this uh, golem. He called him Yosale. Uh, and there are many stories about this golem. In fact, anyone that goes to Prague will see that there is actually a building till this day that uh, has the golem in it, uh, buried in there. There's a stories on there that say it's a well-known story. Now, aside from this, uh, there are many, many other things that are told about the Marami Prague. Uh, but of course, there are times where you could say, yeah, but this was exaggerated. This was this, this was that. So unless you see that the author of the story, the author of the Maaseh, the event, uh, was the sage himself, you know, there's always a way, there's always an end to question things. So the story I'm about to tell you was actually written in the uh, hands, in the writing, in, 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 with the name of the Maralmi Prague himself. Okay, he wrote the story, he experienced it, he went through it. There was a, uh, a couple of guys that grew up in the community, went through a lot of difficulties uh, together, and uh, eventually grew up religious Jews that uh, became very successful. And the uh, community knew them as the two bears. One was called the red bear, red dove, and the other one was called the black dove. Both got married, had children, and uh, Baruch Hashem were uh, fully observant Torah Jews. And, uh, but there was one big difference between the two families of Red Dove and Black Dove. That Black Dove only had daughters, whereas Red Dove had sons and daughters. The other difference is also that Red Doves were, his children were all very, very beautiful. Black Dove didn't exactly have the beauty, perhaps they got hit with the ugly stick. But nonetheless, they were good friends, they were righteous people, they were very helpful to the community, and their dream was fulfilled when the their sons and daughter, the, uh, the um, daughter of a Red Dove, wanted to marry the son of Black Dove. I'm sorry, the son of Red Dove wanted to marry the daughter of Black Dove. So... With their history, you know, being what it is, their friendship, their everything that they have, now they married to have their 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 son and their daughter, uh, uh, you know, get married. This was unbelievable to them, and uh, the interesting thing is, is that the uh, this son was the only one out of uh, uh, that was very very beautiful in that family. The rest of the family was not very uh, good looking. And uh, he was 18 years old. He was the last pregnancy that they had. And uh, of course, the whole community was excited about this. They had the Maharal Miprag be the Mesader Kiddushin, do the uh, wedding ceremony. And the entire community came to this monumental event. As the Maharal Miprag is about to make the blessing on the wine, before he says the name of Hashem, suddenly the cup of wine falls out of his hand. This is obviously not a common thing. Well, it happens. They fill up the cup with another, uh, with more wine from the Maharal's uh, uh, wine, because he actually had the custom of only using his own wine uh, for these, uh, uh, for, to be a Mesader Kiddushin. And uh, he's about to start the blessing again. And again, 
the cup drops out of his hand and spills everywhere. Now, obviously everyone is confused. They're you know, questioning whether the Rav is okay. He's okay. No one really understands what's going on here. But now we have to fill up a third cup. So the Maharaj says, Yosele, the golem, he says, go and get another bottle of wine. It was a rainy day. Yosele goes outside and everyone is watching him that as he goes outside from outside of the tent, he's walking towards the house and all of a sudden he stops in the middle of the streets and he starts waving his hands as if he's arguing with somebody. And then he stops and he goes, instead of going to the house, he goes to the Bedin. Everyone is watching this. It's a small community. They see all of this. Shortly later, Yosele comes out. He comes over to the Maral and he gives him a piece of paper. The Maral sees the paper and on the paper it's written, Ach, Achot, brother, sister. The Maral says to Yosele, where did you get this from? And Yosele can't speak, so he tells him to follow him. The Maral follows him. He takes him to some window. The Maral listens into the window. And then he comes back. And he tells the everyone there, I'm sorry, we cannot have the wedding right now. There's some uh, information that we need to investigate. Please give all of this food to the poor people. And Be'ezat Hashem, after some investigation, we will have a new ceremony tomorrow. Of course, no one's going to question the Gdolado, the Tzaddik, the Kadosh, the Ma'aral, but everyone's confused. After everyone leaves, the Ma'aral tells the Golem, tells Yosele, take this note and bring it to the cemetery. Go to the grave of the Estel, the midwife who passed away not too long ago. Go to our grave. And tell her that she is invited to the Beddin of this world tomorrow at such and such time when she's called, she must appear at the Beddin. Yosele follows suit, goes to the grave exactly as his master tells him. And the next day, after Shachrit, the Maral has all of the doors of the uh, shul closed, and he announces to everybody, please everyone, calm down. No one is to leave the shul. Everyone has to stay here because we are about to have a beddin, and we need everyone here to see what's about to happen. Of course, everyone gets uh, scared what's going on, but again, when you have the giant sage of the generation tell you what to do, you simply just sit there. Now, then the golem brings a uh, mechitza, some type of a uh, thing that would separate the community from some small corner in the, uh, in the, uh, in the shul. The dayanim sit in front of everyone there's three dayanim the maral in between the two others and he says the court calls on Esther, the midwife 
Immediately, people get scared because everyone knows who Esther is. She died. She's been dead. What do you mean she's coming here? A few people get up and the Maral says, please, everyone calm down. No one is going to be hurt, but we need you to see what's going to happen. And I promise you, everyone's going to be okay. They calm down, they sit down, and they listen. Shortly later, the golem says to the Maral, she's here. And the Maral says, please state your name and who you are. And suddenly behind the curtain comes out a voice, the voice of Esther, the woman that died, the midwife that died years ago, crying hysterical, saying she's Esther, she's the midwife. And he says to her, you were a midwife for many children. And you also a midwife to the children of Red Dove and Black Dove. Can you please tell me why did I get a note saying Ach Achot, brother, wife, brother, sister, in yesterday's ceremony? The midwife starts crying and she starts telling the story. She says, it was me that pushed your cup out of your hand twice. It was me that stopped Yosele from going to the house to bring more wine. It was me that had him write the note because I need your help to fix a very wrong thing that I did that I'm suffering for every single day since the day that I did it, and even more so since I died, as I am in Kafakela. And the story is that I delivered a lot of babies in the community, she says. And I knew all of the parents and had a very special relationship with all of them. And each time that the wife of Black Dove had a baby, Although we were happy, I saw that part of her was sad that she didn't have any boys. They wanted to have a boy so he could learn Torah, so he could be a rabbi, so he could be a chacham. But she had one girl after another. But because she was such a good friend to Red Dove's wife, each time Red Dove's wife had another baby boy, she would genuinely say Mazal Tov and be happy. But inside she was crying that she did not merit to have it. And after experiencing this time and time again, I promised myself that if I ever have the opportunity that to help her have a boy, I'm going to do it. And as happened, she was pregnant. And uh, I had a plan. She was pregnant and Red Dove's wife were pregnant at the same time. And I said to myself that if they both deliver the baby at the same day and Black Dove's wife delivers another girl again, I'm going to switch the babies. And that's exactly what happened when they were both delivering in the same day. I said, this is perfect for my plan. I brought a very big diaper so I could cover the baby immediately. The The mom can't tell. She's obviously just had a baby. Take the baby away, tell him I have to check him. 
but immediately tell him Mazaltov. No matter what happens, no matter what comes out, tell him Mazaltov, you have a boy. And go quickly and switch it with Red Dove's baby. Now, what ended up happening is that Black Dove's wife actually did have a boy for the first time. And I said, Mazaltov, you have a baby boy, and she was happy. But I didn't let her see the baby. I took the baby because that was the plan, but everyone was happy. She really had a baby boy. But then I looked at the baby. And I'm not trying to offend anyone, she says. But I've seen a lot of babies in my life. That baby did not look normal. And I said to myself, this poor woman has been waiting for a baby boy all these years. Why does she have to get such a baby? While her dear friend who loves her, all of her kids are beautiful. She deserves to have a beautiful baby boy. Red Dove's wife also had a baby boy. And I decided to make a switch. I switched the two kids. And I gave them back the babies. Nobody noticed. Both had a baby boy. Both babies were in the arms of what they thought were their parents. But as soon as I got home that night, I knew I made a mistake. But there was nothing I could do about it. There was no way that I could admit to everyone what I did. Now this baby boy that wanted to get married yesterday was about to marry his own sister. The Maral and the rest of the crowd are all shocked. But at the same token, according to Allah, you can't paskin such a thing based on some person coming back from the dead for, for a little while. So the Maharal says to her, do you have any proof that what you're saying is true? She says, yes. Because I couldn't tell anyone, I wrote everything that happened that night. And it's in my journal. If you send somebody to my house to look, she told them exactly where this journal is hidden. You'll see that everything I told you in more details are in, written in this journal. Immediately, the Maharal sends the golem, Yoseleh, to go get the journal. Sometime later, obviously everybody there in suspense, you know, literally sitting on their, on, on their hands, they, they don't know what to do. Voices coming out, but they're not even sure what's going on here. This whole thing happened. This, you know, the parents are there, the, the bride and groom are there. The whole community is there. Yoseleh comes back sometime later with a book. Esther's journal. And in there, the Maral opens and opens and goes to another page, another page, another page, another page, another page, and eventually finds the page of that exact day, which was the 18th of the month. Exactly as Esther said, was written on there, the exact date, all the details. And after speaking to the two Dayanim, they paskind that this story is true. This was a brother and sister. But now the woman says, please help me. 
He says you have to apologize to the family, apologize to the bride and groom, and only if they forget you, they forgive you. Will you be forgiven in, 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 in Shammai? The whole community is crying hysterical here. They all love this woman, Esther. They all obviously love the kids. I mean, the kid didn't even know who his real parents are. The other kid didn't know it. But all this happened, but this very emotional moment ends in a good way where they all say, we forgive you, we forgive you. And shortly later, he tells her, you're, you're dismissed. The golem signals when she's gone. They move the curtains. And it is quiet in the room. Because the dream of these two fathers was that their kids would get married. How could it be now? They get together, they speak for a few moments, and then they announce that they're still going to have their kids get married. It's just that they're not the brother and sister. Rather, they're switching one of them to the others and still have marriage in be, between the families. Now, the Maharal knew that this story is out of the ordinary, and therefore he wrote it himself. He wrote it himself in the documents, preserved as part of the community's synagogue that is still in the Jewish hands until this day. When Hashem sees that a Jew is looking to become purified, the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says, A person that looks to become purified, Hashem gives him a hand. A person that looks to become impure, does sins, Hashem also gives him a hand. He opens the door for him. Go. Do what you want. Hashem will help you regardless of what you do. You want to do good things? Hashem will help you. You want to do bad things? Hashem will also open the door for you. Do what you want. You have free will. But we see here that Hashem will even help somebody in a situation like this without the person even realizing that they're being helped. Where before the Maharal was about to say a blessing in vain because obviously a, a brother is not allowed to marry a sister. Hashem protected the holy sages' words. Before these two holy families would make a unforgivable sin. Hashem protected them. Before these two kids married each other and committed a sin without even realizing, Hashem protected them. Hashem's divine hand is in every single part of our lives. And the more a person understands that Hashem is the one that's literally running the show, the more they'll have faith that everything is going to be okay, even if it hurts even if it is difficult, even if it is something you don't understand. And in fact, one of the principles of the Jewish faith is that God is unique. He is one. There's nothing like Him. He's beyond our comprehension. And the Rambam extrapolates on that saying that if, one of the reasons why we say that He is he has no image, he has no likeness of an image, he has no body, is because all of those things, the image, the body, the, the uh, likeness of a body, these are all things that would limit God. These are all things that could be replicated or compared to something else. But the Holy Torah says, There's nothing else but Him. 
Nothing else could be compared to him. And if you were to be able to understand him or compare anything to him, you'd be him. So when a person is dealing through difficulties, whether it's the difficulties in your community or difficulty in your studies or difficulty in your business or difficulty in your marriage or difficulty in just whatever you're dealing with, so long as you are loyal to Hashem and doing everything possible to continuously sanctify yourself by following the Torah, by learning the Torah, by doing everything possible, then you have nothing to worry about. Because Enod Milvado, there's nothing else but Him and He's the one that is doing whatever He's doing in order to get you to a better place. On the other hand, if a person is not following the Torah and they're dealing with difficulties, many people are starting to feel a lot of pain from the economic situation. That if this is the recession we've been talking about for some time, it's going to be a long winter. It's going to be a very, very big loss. And whatever people have seen over the last year, the 20 or so percent downturn in the markets is not even the beginning. It's going to get much, much uglier. So those of you that are already dealing with difficulties, you just lost your job, you're losing money in your business, you're having difficulty making ends meet. If you're following the Torah, know that Hashem is taking you to a better place, it's going to be okay. If you're not following the Torah, perhaps it's time you do. Because you're going to need as many merits as you possibly can to survive the winter financially and otherwise the holy torah tells us that the egyptians forgot yourself and even got to a point where when paro told them to kill their own babies they did it how could this be when you have no tradition when you have no god of israel and you simply follow the laws of man. You simply follow the craziness of man. And that man tells you, go kill a bunch of Jewish babies. Why? Because I said so. Because we don't want one of them to take our job. Now, while those followers think that, okay, what? Well, I mean, if I'm the one that's killing, how could I get hurt? What they didn't realize is that with each baby... They were throwing into the water with each baby they were trying to kill or killing. Each baby they put into the stones because their parents did not meet the quota of making stones. Each one of those Jewish babies was making the Egyptian more desensitized. More and more desensitized at the value of life. Not just Jewish life. Life in general. And that's why when eventually it came time where Paro said kill Jewish baby, kill all uh, um, firstborn, uh, kill all male babies. He didn't say all male Jewish babies. It literally the Torah says all male babies. Our sages tell us this included the Egyptian babies. And the Egyptians agreed to carry this baby for nine months and then kill it. Why? They've become so desensitized from the value of life after killing and murdering what they thought is their enemy that when it came down to even killing their own 
It felt no different. The Torah is not just a book that tells us about laws that God instilled into the world. It's not just a book that tells us about different historical events that took place to make the Jewish people what they are. More than anything else, the Torah is our connection to the one and only Creator. The Torah is the single truth that's unquestionable and unchangeable. The Torah is the only thing that can turn a person into a righteous person. Because without the Torah, a person can simply change whatever is wrong into right and whatever is right into wrong. And even if they believe that something was right their whole life, the moment it's no longer profitable, they could easily just change that mind. This is why the Torah is also called the Book of Wars. The wars against evil. And one of the things that a person can see from the Holy Torah is that there is an endless amount of lessons in every single verse, in every single parasha, in every single aspect of the Torah. And the more a person will immerse themselves in the teachings of the Torah and apply them lives to the Torah, the more it's going to transform their life. Of course, the Torah is going to transform the life of a Jew much more than it will transfer the life of the non-Jew. Not just because of more mitzvot, but simply also because of the impact and the effect that it has on their soul. But needless to say, this is a book that can allow each and every person to live a fruitful life. To live a life that has answers to all the questions. To eliminate any confusion that exists. Whether it's the confusions of today, where people simply think that men and women should be equal, even if the man wants to be a woman just because he said so. Even if the woman says she feels that she's a man, you should agree. Or that homosexuality is a blessing rather than a curse all the other different type of demented beliefs that in just the previous generation were frowned upon, were mocked, were things that no one wanted to have anything to do with. In today's world, these things are advocated and celebrated. So before a person throws their eternity into the garbage, throws their mentality and their own gift of life and logic that they have, delve into the Torah. It's not just a story of what happened thousands of years ago. It's a story of today and the solutions for today's problems. I know that there's a lot more that we can learn from the parasha. I have here, Baruch Hashem, probably another few hours worth of things we can learn but I know that you guys wait for this day to ask a lot of questions so I'll take a moment to take a drink and then start taking on questions the questions are I'm reading them they're all live I don't know the questions ahead of time for anyone that's watching this for the first time I had the feed is coming from the Facebook live 
Uh, I know that we're uh, doing the live also on TikTok and on our app. And uh, some people want me to answer their questions. It's not possible for me to read everybody's questions. There's just so many. So uh, until I have an easier way of uh, reading everybody's questions, we're still going to use the same thing that we've used over the years, which is the uh, uh, questions from uh, Facebook. Uh, if there is time and, uh, you know, and there's not enough, enough questions and I have time, the ability to look at elsewhere, TikTok and everywhere else, I'll try to do that too. But Bezat Hashem, we'll, uh, we'll go there. Okay. Moshe is the first question. Uh, if it's Moshe, we're meeting him for the first time in this uh, parasha. Kvod uh, can you explain to us what the pidyon nefesh is? Does this really work, or is it uh, a way to get money out of people? Thanks. Okay. So the pidyon nefesh is uh, certainly something that works if the right person does it for you. It is a... Uh, um, a practice that uh, very uh, holy people uh, can do, usually people that are very uh, learned in Kabbalah. Uh, not every rabbi does it. Needless to say, not every Kabbalist does it. Uh, there are, uh, uh, you know, certain times people ask me to uh, uh, do it for them. I don't do it, but I do have somebody that I know that does it. It's a very extensive and lengthy process where they have to take, I believe it's 180 coins, uh, do a certain type of learning and praying on the behalf of a person. Uh, in, in essence, a, uh, it's a, um, to save a person's life if a person is very sick or there is an uh, evil decree on a person or a person is uh, on their deathbed, anytime there are major issues, this is, uh, in essence, a, one of the teachings that we have in the uh, uh, Jewish tradition that uh, if a person does has somebody to do it for them, this can certainly help. Uh, you can compare it to, let's say, uh, like bringing a sacrifice. But it's, uh, the process itself is very detailed. It's very lengthy. Uh, and even people that I know that uh, uh, certainly know how to do it, they just don't have the time to do it. Uh, so that's why people that typically do it, uh, they charge. They charge money for it. Um, because it takes time, it takes time. It's a uh, aside from getting the coins, there's also an expense for the uh, the uh, the rabbi's life, uh, the rabbi's time uh, for doing it. And uh, if you have the right person doing it, uh, then certainly it can help. Certainly it can help. We've uh, done it for a few people, uh, but most of the times uh, when people ask me about it and I tell them the price, they tell me no, thank you. Uh, and I also say thank you for saying no, thank you because if you don't uh, um, uh, feel that this is worth it, that means you probably didn't need it. You know, for whatever reason or another, people think that this should be free. Like, you know, like uh, Torah scholars have nothing to do but to spend their time, uh, you know, doing these uh, special zgulot for everybody. I'm not really sure why that's why people have uh, such disrespect for Torah scholars' life and what they think uh, was the way that these Torah scholars became scholars. 
but also this happens a lot of times uh, in, in different ways where people uh, uh, like just today, just today, literally, this is live. I got uh, two different urgent messages, 911, you know, from two different completely unrelated people. Oh, my uh, one of them said my brother and the other one said my son is uh, marrying a, uh, you know, my Jewish son or one of them said my, my brother or Jewish brother is uh, engaged to a non-Jew. Please save him. Like, what do you think I am? Like Superman or something or I'm a magician or a sorcerer? Like, how do you think this works? If somebody is a, uh, you know, is, is about to marry a non-Jew, if somebody's about to intermarry, that means that they have been in this whole thing for a while. You don't just find somebody in the street and just decide to marry them. I mean, unfortunately, it happens to a certain extent, but obviously it's not common. If, if they're engaged, that means they've been together for a while. Where were you while they were dating? Why didn't you say, save me, when he first started dating this non-Jew? Why didn't you, uh, you know, uh, say, save me and help me uh, when, when, he, when she first started, you know, uh, talking to this uh, uh, person? Why? Why, did you, uh, why didn't you do that? Why did you wait until they're uh, engaged? Uh, so that's the thing. That's, uh, you know, people wait, number one, until it's too late. Number two, what do you think? I'm just going to call this guy and tell him, listen, it's not good and he's going to listen to me? I mean, it's, it's, literally, it's the most naive, crazy thing that people do. And last but not least, uh, for whatever reason or another, people think that rabbis have the responsibility to, to take on all your problems. Uh, now, of course, we're here to help, but uh, you, you have to give us some, uh, you know, you have to give us some help here. Uh, you know, you, you have to, you know, be involved. You have to uh, do more than just uh, send a message. Listen, my son that doesn't know anything about Torah, my son that doesn't know anything about the truth, my son that's been eating non-kosher and I raised him in a, in a public school, he finally decided to marry his girlfriend that's not Jewish for the, for the last four years. He decided to finally marry her. Like, what did you think? We should call him, don't do it. He's going to listen to us. No, he loves this girl. He thinks it's perfectly normal. You obviously have supported it to a certain extent by not uh, crying uh, foul uh, for all those years. And uh, in fact, you are the one that you're the reason why he did it because you raised him the way you raised him. So now if a person wants to make a change, it has to come from the person themselves. It can't come from his parents or his friends. And the way that change happens is education. Learn what the truth is. Learn about the fact that the Torah is divine. Learn about the fact that there is a creator that judges you and punishes you if you don't follow the Torah and rewards you if you do follow the Torah. And learn about the fact that there is a prohibition from Jews marrying non-Jews. Simple. Uh, just like there's a prohibition of uh, one man being with another man or one woman being with another woman or uh, bestiality or idolatry or eating non-kosher, there's also a prohibition of, you know, where you're not allowed to marry a non-Jew. In fact, there's many, many curses and, uh, and, and punishments that will come upon a person that uh, marries a, uh, you know, a Jew that marries a non-Jew, whether it's a Jewish girl marrying a non-Jewish guy or vice versa, a Jewish guy marrying a non-Jewish girl. They're guaranteed to have a miserable life uh, when, you know, ultimately they will suffer for it, both in this world and the next, and they both lose their eternity. Uh, now, of course, one of the best ways that a person can avoid this is by getting proper Jewish education while they're still young, before they make this mistake. But if you obviously waited too long, and now it's, it's time, the way that I tell people is that if you want me to help you, there is a system. Don't ask me to call anybody. Don't ask me to chase anyone. I'm not going to do it. And not only do I not have the time, but also it's not going to work. The way it works is very simple. First, you know, you can send me a message. 
uh, the person himself needs to send me a message, or at least I know he's interested, or at the very least, you know, give me a uh, WhatsApp number. We send him my personal story, which obviously also has intermarriage as a very big and significant part of that story. It's part of my journey also. And if he or she watches that film, they will immediately uh, come to a conclusion. First conclusion is whether they like me or dislike me, whether they believe that I could be a, uh, a vessel that could help them or simply they can't stand me. This is a critical part. Why? Because if I am the uh, vessel, they'll listen to what I say. If they can't stand me, they think that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, I'm the enemy for whatever reason, then it doesn't matter how good of a speaker I am or how smart I am or how religious I am. That's not going to help. That's not going to help. Now, of course, different people uh, come uh, and uh, wake up at different times. I actually had a situation where some time ago, uh, a, uh, a woman, a Jewish woman that uh, is dating one of my students, uh, you know, he uh, recommended for her to reach out to me. Now, he's about Tshuva. She was completely secular, grew up like literally completely disconnected from the Torah. And he wanted her to, uh, you know, to start learning my lectures. So she ha- said she asked questions. You know, she grew up liberal, feminist, all that stuff that's uh, opposite of Torah. So she sent me some questions and I started answering the questions like I answer all the other questions with the truth without uh, uh, taking any uh, political correctness into account. And uh, in the beginning, she getting all the answers. She, uh, it was a shock to her. But then as she uh, started getting more and more answers that were uh, hitting a nerve and she watched a couple of videos, she decided that I am enemy number one. I am enemy number one. She sends me a message. Literally, I'm not even sure if anybody sent me as, as good of a message as this one. She told me how much she thinks I'm evil and I am uh, 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 toxic and I'm like the worst person on planet Earth and she's going to pray for me to, 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 to save me and uh, that I'm the worst. Like literally, she gave me like an earful and it's not like not even a 30 second message. Like literally, it was like three, four minutes. And... Uh, <laughs> And of course, I mean, this is especially after you're spending a few hours helping somebody's questions, videos, proofs, this, that. This is the result you get. Okay, this is the result you get. Whatever. You don't take it offensively. You, you know that the person is in a difficult part of their life. They're, they're really uh, realizing that uh, either their whole life is uh, one big uh, falsehood or uh, they're uh, the enemies at the door. One of the two has to be. So she decides the enemy's at the door and she wants to tell the enemy how evil he is. In this case, me being the enemy. And she gives me a message. Ooh, wow. I still remember that message like it was yesterday. And of course, I tell her, listen, I, uh, you know, I, it's sad that uh, this is what you think, but everything that I told you, I provided you the sources that you could double check. That's what you feel. That's what you feel. But if you ever do decide that uh, you want to learn more and you uh, need help and, uh, you know, feel free to come back. And this, again, after the person cursed me out and, 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 you know, all nasty, nasty stuff. No problem. Now, I didn't ever think that this girl was ever going to contact me. Needless to say, I didn't think this girl was going to contact me and apologize. Uh, and it was only, uh, I think it was maybe three, four, five months later. When she contacts me out of the blue, I'm sorry. I realized that you're right. And now I started watching the lectures and everything you're saying is right. And now I'm realizing that the Orthodox Judaism is the truth. And now she's like a big fan and she's uh, learning and uh, they're, they're, they're fixing their life. And this is not just one story. I have many stories like this. 
so the thing is though is that the only reason why the story had a happy ending is because eventually she double checked she double checked her reality she double checked her facts she double checked whatever information she thought was true versus what she was hearing that was told to her that's true but she didn't know if it's true or not she double checked she learned she invested some time and she realized that everything she believed in was false everything that was told to her is true and now that she has this it obligates her it obligates her to make changes and it's not easy to make changes young woman beautiful everything you know is is used to the world appreciating her for her beauty and her body and all that stuff now has to become modest it's a very big change for a woman uh a woman that had no uh obligation to keep anything not shabbat not kosher all of a sudden she has to keep this it's a big change but Hashem, she did it and other women have done it and other men have done it when they were people of truth and they really did invest the time and efforts to double check number one the information that was given to them and compare it to the information that they have and anyone that has checked has arrived at the truth Hashem. so when people want uh help they have to realize that if you don't help yourself no one can help you and that's what Rabbeinu Yonah says in Sharet Tshuva about 700 years ago that uh if a person does not help themselves musarim. all of the Musar in the world will not help him he says if he doesn't help himself by learning and fulfilling the truth so everyone takes that into account and uh you know applies this to their life next question coming from Charlie when someone famous passes away is it a mitzvah or a sin to tell people uh I'm not really sure what you mean by someone famous if you're talking about someone famous like a famous rabbi that's a holy person then yes it is a mitzvah to tell people because you want more and more people of Am Yisrael to mourn his loss uh in fact it's a uh, it's it's critical the bigger the rabbi the more critical it is for every Jew to mourn his loss uh, now of course they don't necessarily need to uh, rip their clothes like they're mourning their uh, parents or uh, an immediate relative or a spouse uh, unless they were Talmud Muvak of this of this rabbi but uh, either way every Jew needs to have some type of mourning uh, for uh, the, uh, the the big rabbis for Talmidei Chachamim for a kosher person uh, so it's certainly a mitzvah to publicize it so more people know about it but if you're talking about some uh, Hollywood celebrity or some type of uh, uh, you know uh, athlete uh, dying no there's no mitzvah of publicizing it and in fact it's a most likely a sin uh, to publicize it because this will probably entice people to see these people's lives and their stories and instead of learning Torah they're going to be reading articles or their heretical books that were written by these people or watching their uh, immoral and immodest movies that they made and uh, are watching them play so it's certainly not a mitzvah and in fact it is uh you know gonna cause a lot of sins because it's uh, at the very least bitul torah which is wasting time that's supposed to be spent on learning torah and two it could lead people to making sins by seeing what these people do and uh you know that's obviously not uh torah so no don't publicize uh that uh those types of people's uh death uh in fact the shulchan aruch uh that when a wicked person dies uh let's say for example if there was a jew that was a uh idol worshiper that was a uh, uh you know um you know 
Apikoros that made fun of the Torah and uh, he dies, not only do we not mourn him, but the Shulchan Aruch says that we wear white clothes and celebrate like it's a holiday. There's no mourning for, for wicked people. There's no mourning for them. Now, of course, very, you know, not everybody practices this today because people uh, want to be more sensitive uh, than God, but that's really the law. You don't mourn enemies of God. Next, what are your thoughts on the new Israeli government? Um, my thoughts, my thoughts on all governments is that they're all, uh, you know, just enemies of the Torah in so many words. Uh, they're all uh, problematic. Uh, they're all corrupt, uh, even if they show that they are not corrupt initially, eventually you see that they're corrupt, they all speak out of both sides of their mouth, but that's the nature of all politicians. Uh, no government or government member or president or prime minister is going to help the Jewish people. Even if this government member and prime minister was an Orthodox Jew, you could never rely on him to help the Jewish people. Why? Only God could help the Jewish people based on their actions. We can never allow ourselves to believe in any one particular person that's going to help us, even if he's an Orthodox Jew. Now, needless to say, the Israeli government is comprised of mostly apikorsim, uh, uh, heretics, uh, people that are anti-Torah, people that are liberal, people that are not religious. There are some religious people there that are decent and are trying to make the best of it. So at least uh, uh, whatever we can do, we do. Uh, to uh, to uh, minimize the damage, but generally speaking, uh, the the government as a whole is a uh, has always been uh, an anti-Torah government and will continue being an anti-Torah government until the Mashiach comes. Not just the government in Israel, the government in every country. Uh, next question by Jeremy. Um, I took my old tzitzit strings and tied them on a new beged. Can I bless Sheikh Yanu? Uh, and uh, would I do that after I bless Allah Mitzvah Tzitzit? It's, you can't really do Sheikh Yanu because you have a, uh, the Tzitzit is the same Tzitzit, and that's the Ikar of the Begid. So there's no Sheikh Yanu, but uh, yeah, you would do a, uh, uh, a blessing on the Tzitzit only if it's wool, uh, if the Begid is wool. But if it's a cotton garment, then there's no, uh, you don't say the blessing of the Tzitzit. Uh, you actually say the, uh, the blessing of a tzitzit on your talit gadol in the morning, which uh, you have in mind that will also count for your uh, regular tzitzit that is a uh, cotton or something like that. But if you're wearing a woolen tzitzit, then you can say a separate uh, blessing for the mitzvah of tzitzit. But there's no shechianu since it's the same thing you have. Uh, next question. If your menorah broke after continuous use, how can you dispose of it? Uh, is it even allowed to throw it out? Yes, uh, the, uh, the uh, menorah can be thrown out. Uh, I mean, if you want to, uh, um, you know, wrap it, uh, you know, uh, that's fine, but you don't have to. You don't have to. You could technically you could throw it out. Uh, some people are a little bit more stringent where they, uh, you know, they wrap it in plastic or tin foil or something like that, uh, but it still goes in the garbage. But yes, you can throw it out with not a problem. Um, Shomer Mitzvah is asking, why does the firstborn have special status and why are they frequently not worthy of that status in the Torah? Esav, Reuven, Levim taking uh, over the uh, offerings. Uh, we actually spoke about this yesterday in the uh, Jewish Intimacy series. Uh, Hashem decided that the firstborn 
are his. They are pro- his property. The firstborn animal, the first uh, fruit, the first uh, uh, child. It, they belong to him. And initially, they were the high priests. Uh, until the uh, sin of the golden calf, that was the case. After the sin of the golden calf, that's when Hashem took away that responsibility from the firstborn and he gave it to the Kohanim. He gave it to the Kohanim. But until then, they, uh, the firstborn were, had a, uh, they were supposed to be the, uh, the, the priests of the nation. Um, and uh, that's what th- they were, the priests of the nation, until that time. And in fact, when Mashiach comes, even though the Kohanim will continue their job, uh, as, as Kohanim, the responsibility of the firstborn will go back to a higher level than it is today. That's also one of the things that uh, will happen at the time of Mashiach. Now, as far as the uh, why are some of them not uh, worthy of that status, that has to do with everything we spoke about yesterday, which is how were they consummated? How were these babies conceived? Uh, if you look at Cain, uh, or you know, Cain uh, came from the Zoama of the Nachash. Uh, so after Adam Arishon sinned uh, and ate from the uh, tree of knowledge, uh, you know that's when uh, they, uh, he was with his wife. But that was the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that was only after the serpent, uh, you know, was uh, raped the raped Chava. So the Zoama. Uh, spiritual filth of the uh, serpent was in Chava, and therefore, Cain uh, came from uh, from that. Uh, the uh, that spiritual filth continued affecting mankind, uh, and uh, that's why for um, Avraham to uh, to complete this, to, you know, to help the tikkun of Adam Rishon, he uh, had to have two kids. So his first child. Uh, had to take on the Zoma, which was Ishmael. Ishmael was the first child. That's where the Zoma came. Uh, whereas the holiness was in the second child. That was Yitzchak. The same happened to Yitzchak. Uh, to uh, as part of the tikkun, the Zoma had to go into the firstborn of uh, Esav, and the uh, uh, holiness was achieved in Yaakov. The only one that uh, that achieved. Perfection from the beginning was Yaakov Avinu, uh, that uh, he actually uh, uh, was used all of the teachings and the holiness uh, that uh, he, he gathered from Avraham and uh, Yitzchak, from his grandfather and his father, to the point where he sanctified himself so much that throughout his entire life he never had uh, any seed wasted in any way, shape, or form, certainly not intentionally and certainly not unintentionally, not even uh, nocturnal emissions. And that's why uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, when he gives the blessings to uh, his, uh, his, uh, his children, to the tribes, he says, Reuven, Reuven is the firstborn, he says, uh, you are the, my first vigor, meaning that the first time that seed uh, came out of the body of Yaakov was when he was 87 years old, which created his firstborn son, Reuven. That's how holy Yaakov was, where for 87 years, no seed exited his body. Now imagine, he was not married. He wasn't with women, but he was as holy as can be. So the, uh, the, uh, the success happened with Reuven. So the, uh, when a uh, firstborn is created in holiness, they have a, uh, extraordinary spiritual powers. Uh, when uh, when not, then obviously they also have uh, the opposite. Now, this is not to say that uh, uh, Avraham or Yitzchak 
or, or Adam Rishon didn't uh, have holiness or didn't do the act in holiness, but they were part of the original uh, problem from the serpent. After Yaakov, that's when the rest of what I said applies, which is it all depends on how the children are, are conceived. If they're conceived in holiness, then holiness is what you get. Uh, more so with the firstborn than with other children. If they're not, then unfortunately, uh, you know, there's a, uh, they're prone to a lot of uh, problems. Let's just say that. Uh, next question. Is one allowed to light the menorah when it's not Hanukkah? Uh, if it's a, uh, you know, a Jewish person is not supposed to use the, uh, the candles for, for enjoyment or for, uh, for, for looks or anything like that, no. Uh, this is not what we use the Hanukkah lamp for. Uh, if a person simply wants to light candles, they could get themselves a candelabra or just a bunch of candles and light that, but not use the uh, menorah that's used for uh, Hanukkah because that, um, you know, creates confusion. Uh, certainly minimizes the significance of the time of the year that it is Hanukkah, and it's just an inappropriate usage of the uh, Hanukkah lamp. Uh, there is a online simcha, I'm assuming you're meaning smicha, an online smicha program taught by a big Chabad Talmit Chacham. He teaches Tarovet, Basar Vechalav, Shabbat, uh, ta, 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 okay, then you get tested orally by big rabbinim. The problem is that sometimes Manish will give a lecture, but it's optional and not required for the smicha. Is it okay to learn a smicha with them without listening to Manish? Again, I can't, uh, I can't give any type of uh, support to any organization that I am not uh, very uh, involved in and familiar with what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what everybody does. All I know is that there's a lot of horror stories that I hear from all types of organizations, whether it's a financial manipulation, Torah manipulation, uh, you know, uh, all types of horrible things. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not something I could support in any way. That's number one. Number two, it's a, one of the things that uh, we learned from the, uh, from the Torah in, in Masechet Sanhedrin, Perek Chelek, is a uh, person that is a, uh, Shutaf Leish Mashchit is considered wicked himself. If a person is wicked and other people are partnering with them, this makes them wicked also. This makes them wicked also. So it's no secret that Manus Friedman is a heretic. There's no secret of the things that he says. He claims to be the most popular rabbi on, on YouTube and uh, has a, uh, a lot of uh, uh, views and fake subscribers that he buys every Thursday. But the point being is, is that a, uh, this is not a secret. So those people that are working with him on a regular basis are aware of this, and if they still agree to have him speak on a regular basis, this does not speak very highly of them or their smicha program or anything that you do. Uh, that's number three. Uh, number four, uh, as far as if I were to uh, you know, recommend for somebody to get a smicha, I would recommend for a person to get a smicha that is acceptable by all of Kalal Yisrael and not just Chabad. Chabad has their own style of doing a lot of different things that is unacceptable in the eyes of uh, other Orthodox Jews. Uh, so if somebody is serious about getting a smicha because they want to be a rabbi, they want to uh, you know, uh, teach people, they want to uh, use this smicha, uh, then I would get a smicha from a, uh, you know, from a Orthodox Jewish organization 
that's not necessarily so particular about their shita of everything and so on. And there's plenty of them out there. Uh, this is not to say that this Chabad is bad. It's just to say that, again, if, if, if a person is going to use this smicha for, uh, to, to teach the public, I, you know, uh, I would not necessarily limit myself to uh, Hasidut Chabad. Uh, that's uh, third, but again, more than anything else, I think that uh, the Chabad of today is uh, nothing to do with the Chabad of uh, you know the past, and this is actually the words of Arav Mazuz, one of the Gedolei Ado today, uh, probably, perhaps probably the biggest rabbi in the world today is Arav Mazuz, and uh, he says that the uh, you know the uh, a lot of very very. Uh, sharp things against Chabad. Uh, he calls them a lot of uh, names that are definitely not complimentary. I can tell you that. He says that they're oh, all and so on. And he says that, the, and again, he's only referring to the people of today. Uh, the Chabad of today, uh, even if you'll find the diamond in the rough here and there, but generally speaking, it's a uh, has no connection whatsoever to the Chabad of that was built over the last couple of hundred years. Uh, the dedication to the Torah, the commitment to the Torah, the uh, uh, the Yirat Shamaim, uh, all of that stuff is uh, unfortunately non-existent in many, many, many Chabads. In fact, it's become almost impossible to find a, uh, a Chabad that has a normal Keila. You'll find good ones in every Keila, decent people in every Keila uh, of every community. But as, as far as having a uh, you know complete package where you don't have people believing that the Rebbe that died, uh, you know, a few decades ago is the Mashiach or he was God or, uh, or uh, you know, that, uh, you know, all types of other things that they have uh, uh, conjured up today. Uh, you know, it's very hard to find. It's very hard to find. So uh, I would not recommend it, uh, even if it uh, uh, was a good one, simply because, or any other organization, unless I was involved in them, but in this particular case, uh, there is some added uh, material that you provided me, whether it's the involvement of the wicked mashchit uh, manis or the other things that are an issue. Next, uh, I'm wondering how National Director Conversion Services in Jerusalem can help me with conversion. They cannot help anybody. You can only help yourself. Uh, conversion or uh, departments, uh, uh, you know, as far as the Rabbanut, the Rabbanut is not there to help anybody. If somebody is interested in converting, they come over there, they have a sponsoring rabbi, they follow whatever protocol they have, a uh, certain amount of learning, certain amount of uh, you know, uh, uh, dedication to life changes and so on, and that's it, the person converts. For whatever reason or another, people think that uh, rabbis, batedin, and, uh, you know, and are all there to uh, cater uh, to, uh, to customers. Converts are not customers. Converts are people that want to convert to Judaism, and uh, you know, to this, they're doing it for themselves. You're not doing anybody else's service or a favor. You're doing it for yourself. Now, there are uh, uh, some that help uh, more than others, or try to help, and uh, in, 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 uh, uh, some more than others. But uh, generally speaking, that's not the objective. The objective is to make things possible for people that are serious. People that are uh, ones that uh, are, are really, uh, you know, uh, have potential to be good converts. But as far as uh, as far as to uh, uh, help people, uh, like uh, you know, where people think that it should be free, 
or they should be get financial assistance even, or they should get it uh, expedited, all these types of things. That's not Judaism. That's customer service and commerce. It's not Judaism. Uh, now, as far as this National Direct to Conversion Service, I don't really know what this organization does. I've never heard of it. If it is connected to the Rabbanut, where it actually converts people, then sure, uh, they could help you convert. But if it's a, uh, some of these other liberal organizations like Itim and uh, other ones that are, uh, in essence, trying to fight the Rabbanut and the system that they have by pressing their opinions, pressing their, uh, their agenda, then these are organizations you stay away from. Uh, I don't know this organization. It sounds to me like it is similar to, uh, to some of the wicked organizations, but it could very well be a righteous one, so I don't know what it is. I would have to look into it. Either way, generally speaking, you should know the, the rabbis and the batadin, they're not there to help people convert. They're there to make it possible if a person is helping themselves by studying, by living in a Jewish community, by living a Jewish life, by having a connection to a, 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 a sponsor that knows them, by following everything that they're supposed to do, they, uh, they could help. But as far as people that are looking for financial assistance or expedited conversion or any of that stuff, that's not something that is, uh, 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 that's not something that's gonna happen. Uh, and anyone that would say that they can make stuff like that happen, like expedite your conversion or or or, uh, or or finance it in some way, usually they are connected to some very, very serious level of corruption uh, and, uh, and problems. So I would stay away from them. Uh, next. If a transgender comes to a shul, Shem uh, if a transgender comes to a shul, meaning a man dressed like a woman, would he still be put on the man's side? Uh, do they have the lachic status as their gender or birth? And what does their identity know? A person cannot change their gender. If they're born a man, they will always be a man, even if they put plastic surgery on every part of their body and they look more beautiful than the most beautiful woman in the world. They will always be what God created them as which is a man or a woman, whatever it is that they were created as. The fact that they feel like they're something else means nothing. I feel like I'm a cat. Does that make me a cat? Uh, another guy feels like he's a window. Does that make him a window? Another guy thinks he's a rocket and a, third guy, a fourth guy thinks he's a transformer. Does that make it any of that true? No, it just makes people crazy. Just because I, some guy th- thinks of himself as a girl doesn't make him anything. His thoughts meaningless in the Torah. We have a Torah, laws from God. God created you as such. You will always be such. You want to destroy your body. You want to make your body look like it's something else than what you were created as. Be my guest. You will pay the crime for it. You will pay the punishment for it, for destroying your body, for the homosexuality. When a guy transforms his entire body, does sex change, Everything looks like he was born a woman and he acts with another man. It's 100% considered a homosexual act and he will lose his share of the world to come. It's considered an abomination. It doesn't make a difference what his organs look like today after the surgeries. Doesn't look like, doesn't matter if he's wearing makeup. None of that stuff matters. You were created as a man, you will always be a man. It can never change. You created as a woman, you will always be a woman. That can never change. 
the, the reality does not change just because people have gone crazy. And don't think that this type of stuff is new. There is Rabbi, uh, uh, Rabbi Akiva Eger writes about it from hundreds of years ago. There's even mentions of it in the, uh, uh, in the holy books from 800 years ago, 900 years ago, uh, uh, and even 1500 years ago. The stuff of today is not new. This has always existed. Craziness always existed. In those days, they would do different things to change their bodies, take certain plants and, uh, and, and do all types of other uh, physical manipulation. But crazy people have always existed does not mean that we have to accommodate to any of them. And in fact, we're not allowed to accommodate to any of them. And in fact, somebody came in as, a, you know, a man comes in as a, dressed as a woman. He's immediately escorted out of the synagogue, out of the synagogue immediately. Why? He's a machtia rabim. He's mocking the Torah. He's mocking the Torah. You will create commotion. All of the attention will go from, uh, from instead of on the Torah and on God, it'll go to that person. And why this girl or guy or whatever this thing is, is sitting on the guy's side. Of course, he's not allowed on the women's side. It doesn't matter what he feels and what he looks like. He's a guy. So under no condition does he sit on the women's side. And, and, and quite frankly, he shouldn't, he's, he's not allowed to be in the synagogue altogether because he is openly mocking God by dressing in a forbidden way, acting in a forbidden way, and celebrating it, and in fact expecting us to change our entire Torah to accommodate his craziness. This is completely unacceptable. G'dolei Israel fought against this and continued to fight against this. These people have to be thrown out immediately. He wants to be some, uh, some uh, 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 potato head, changes, uh, changes body every day that he has some different uh, craziness. He could be my guest, do whatever he wants. Don't do it in the holy house. Don't do it in a small bet of Don't do it in the synagogue. Go do it in some closet. Go do it in some alley. Go do it in whatever your video game that you have. It doesn't make a difference. You want to destroy your life? Destroy it. It's your life to destroy. But remember, you'll pay the fine. You'll pay. You will pay the uh, 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 the the, the, the uh, for that for that crime. But if a person is a uh, uh, is uh, uh, wants to, at the very least, if he is practicing homosexuality. Uh, but he's not like these uh, uh, people where he flaunts it, walks around like he's some girl. Uh, and no, he is like one of those people who looks like a normal person, and his uh, whatever you know sins are private. No one knows that he's homosexual. No one knows that he's homosexual. No one knows what he does behind closed doors. He acts like a regular person. That person, you can welcome him into the community, no problem. He's like anybody else. You wouldn't know anyway. But the people that walk around in this gay pride parades and walk around like girls when they're guys and so on and so forth, no, those people have to be thrown out of the community as fast as possible. They are a cancer to society. You're not even allowed to befriend these people. Not to befriend them. So long as they are that way and they are doing it openly and they're openly declaring their war against God, there is uh, no business to be friends with these people or, or accommodate to them in any way, shape, or form. And the only uh, uh, rabbi that says to do so are either the reform rabbis or the heretics like this Ephraim Mirvis from England that wrote an entire book of how we're supposed to accommodate to these lowlives that uh, are, uh, are declaring war against God and, uh, and his Torah and manipulating on a regular basis. Regular rabbis, G'dolei Israel. Uh, Sternbach re- recently wrote a letter about it 
uh, protesting against Mirvis and heretics like him that are uh, saying to cater to these people. It's absolutely forbidden to cater to these people. They have to be publicly rebuked because they are publicly shaming the Torah and Am Yisrael and certainly desecrating God's name. So this is not something that we can cater to in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's it's something that has to be thrown out of the community. You don't have to get physical with anybody or anything. You don't have to hurt anybody, but you simply have to kindly tell this person, you're not welcome here so long as you are mocking our God and mocking our Torah. You're not allowed to walk. If you want to come here dressed like a normal person, you're a man dressed like a man, you're uh, no problem. You come sit here, pray with us, no problem. But so long as you are uh, uh, pretending to be some woman and you want everyone to uh, to 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 uh, to uh, accommodate that and accept you as that, this is absolutely unacceptable behavior and it has to be thrown out. And I know that one of the live feeds just got shut down because of what I'm saying because this is politically incorrect, but it's 100% truth. It's 100% truth. I know some people are going to complain about this, but the truth doesn't change just because people want to be liberal and anti-Torah and enemies of God. The truth is what the truth and will always be the case. And Bezal Hashem, we will always say the truth openly without thinking twice because that's what people need. That's what changes lives. And by the way, those people, if they don't do tshuva, they go to Gainon forever, just so you know. Just to top that rest off. Uh, I have a question. In the book of Dvarim says that one of the reasons why Hashem expelled the seven nations that occupied Israel was because of sorcery and idolatry. What is the reason today many idolaters, non-Jews, still live in Israel and not uh, expelled immediately? Well, that's because uh, that uh, Amisad did not listen to all of the instructions. God told them that if uh, they had multiple options to do with the Gentiles that lived in Israel, either if they want to leave, they're welcome to leave. If they want to fight, kill all of them. Or if they want to stay, they have to become our slaves. That was, in essence, the, uh, the, the, the instructions we got from God. But uh, unfortunately, Amisad did not follow that. Uh, some, you know, the Girgashites left. Some of the nations fought us, which uh, we defeated. But the rest of them that uh, were left weren't kicked out, and they did not become uh, monotheistic. They did not become uh, slaves. They, uh, in essence, uh, lived among the uh, Jews, and uh, that caused a lot of problems, and which is still causing us problems until this day. Uh, funny i guess you got shut down from the thing for for the gay stuff two hours i'm talking no problem talk about gay people about the the, the, the sick people the liberals complain start crying mommy mommy take this guy down don't allow this truth to be exposed like them spitting their vomit on society and telling uh that you uh that society needs to accept your craziness, that you think you are something else than what you were created. You think that you're a cat and people need to accept you because no one can decide your gender. Like they could express that opinion. They could express the opinion that, uh, you know, that uh, whatever sick mindset they have, they could, uh, you know, express their, uh, uh, what really shouldn't be expressed by anybody. Like, why do I care that you're homosexual? Like, why do I need to know that you are homosexual? Like, you don't see normal heterosexual men or women walking around with flags saying, oh, let's celebrate one day a year 
that, uh, or every week or every day, or let me get special privileges or special attention because I am normal. I am heterosexual. Like, how come, how come the heterosexuals don't have marches and speeches and, and special credit? Why not? Because it's, it's, it's stupid. You know, a, uh, if you, you, why don't the uh, heterosexuals, you know, generally speaking, they're not going to walk around and tell people, by the way, how you doing? How are you? Listen, uh, I, I don't know who you are, but just so you know, I'm heterosexual. I uh, married to a woman. Like, you don't see heterosexual guys do that. But with the homosexuals, they need to make everybody know what they do behind closed doors. Why do I need to know? Like, do, do you tell people what, what comes out of your body when you go to the bathroom too? Do you tell your, everybody what, uh, you know, like, why do I need to know? Why do I need to know what you do behind closed doors? But that's the thing. That's because Minut Mashcha, the Gemarai Masechet Abu Dazara says, the reason why the uh, sages that uh, had the uh, choice of going one path that was a uh, uh, was a idolatrous building uh, like a church and the other path was a uh, where there was prostitution they chose the prostitution side why because the place of idolatry that is minute that's missionizing that is a something that is literally once a person allows this tuma on them it's they can't even uh, stop themselves they have to cause other people to believe the same thing it's called minute and minut is literally it's, it's it's it becomes their inner nature to missionize. The same thing goes with the, with the homosexuals and atheists. They cannot be homosexuals and atheists by themselves. They need to cause other people. They missionize nonstop to cause other people to also you know uh, be homosexuals and atheists and, and 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 agree with them. And and why why how come the normal people that are heterosexual like the world has always been the only reason why the world exists is because people are you know heterosexual and a man is with a woman how come they don't have a special day how come they're not looking for special attention how come they uh they don't express what goes on behind closed doors why 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 because it's it's the minut mashcha the tuma of the homosexuals is something that is a literally it's it's beyond their control the tumor that they create is they have to replicate the sin they want to make other people uh, uh do the same thing so this these are sick people and to accommodate to them is like accommodating to a christian idol worshiping missionary there's no difference between that no difference in fact it could even be worse uh, how do we stop Hashem either by religion or non-religious Jews from happening, whether it's be fighting, cursing, acting, abomination, and so on? Uh, how do you stop it? By publicizing, learning more Torah, publicizing more Torah, so other people learn the Torah, and the more people follow the truth of the Torah, the less Chilul Hashem there will be in the world. More Kiddush Hashem, there will be less Chilul Hashem. Um, as we really received a bottle of wine as a gift from his boss for the holidays. Uh, we heard there's a prohibition of taking such a gift. Uh, what should he do? Uh, does this apply only to wine or other alcoholic uh, beverages? Uh, first of all, the first thing that uh, uh, you have to look at is if the wine is kosher. If the wine is not kosher, you're not allowed to drink it. It's considered yain nesich. Yain nesich is, yain, is wine of idolatry. There's no permission for a Jew to ever drink a non-kosher wine. Uh, that's number one. Number two, if it was given to you open, even if it is kosher, you're not allowed to drink it. Now let them drink it. Uh, so only if it was given to you completely sealed, uh, never opened, uh, and it's kosher. If, if, if it was given to you that way, then, uh, you know, it's a uh, uh, less problematic. But generally speaking, 
it's a uh, wine is the last gift you want to get from uh, from people that are uh, not Jewish or not religious. Uh, I know many people are going to Sadiqim grave sites to pray. Some leave notes there uh, with their requests. How is this allowed? I know we can only pray to Akadosh Baruch Hu in the merit of the Sadiqim. So why are people writing notes to these Sadiqim? Uh, listen, it's a uh, craziness uh, is certainly uh, 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 growing in the world. Uh, there are. Uh, you know, certain people that do right things uh, because they treat the neshama, righteous people, that treat the neshama as, you know, that the neshama is still there and they're writing a letter, but uh, people take this stuff too far and they pray to the tzaddikim, uh, they, uh, they do all types of strange behavior. So generally speaking, when it comes to tzaddikim, you never pray to the tzaddik, you always pray to Hashem in the merit of the tzaddik. And if you want the merit of the tzaddik to help you, you have to do something for the tzaddik, uh, such as learn his Torah, take on an additional mitzvah uh, in his merit. Uh, you know, if you, I don't know, if let's say, for example, if it's an abandoned uh, grave or, you know, you could uh, uh, make it more beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of different things that a person can do for, uh, for, for tzaddikim, but the biggest thing is to learn their Torah. When people start uh, writing a... Uh, uh, letters to the tzaddikim, sending it in the mail and all that stuff and you know following all these uh, programs where they tell you listen write whatever you want on our website and we will send it to the Rebbe we will send it to this one uh, these are unfortunately people that are very you know spiritually sick and uh, you know I don't know pray for them pray for the, for the living people pray for the living people uh, let me get some more questions from uh, people that haven't asked yet Okay, here we go. Uh, I've heard from modern sages that it's not okay for a convert to become a Dayan. Uh, yet, I haven't heard an explanation for why Ishmael of Toyon were the leaders uh, in uh, Amisad. No, so a convert cannot be a king. And to be a Dayan was a, uh, it's not forbidden, but it wasn't practiced at all, uh, because a, uh, it gives the uh, convert a, uh, a, a lot of power, and if it's not a righteous convert, it could create problems, and also because many times the Jewish people won't accept the, uh, the uh, judgment of the convert, because they always, you know, there are certain wicked people that will view him from his past, just like, for example, Baal Tshuva. But Shmaya and Aftalion uh, were an exception uh, where even in, in their day, they were not only ex uh, uh, accepted as Dayanim, they were the two top people in the world. You know, they were the Nasi, they were the Avbedin, they were, you know, they were, they were everything. And the reason for that is because everyone, un, you know, knew uh, that there was nobody else greater than them. Uh, and uh, in fact, to the point where everyone asked them to do it. They didn't, Ishmael uh, Naftalion didn't uh, come fill up some job application and became it. The whole community begged them to do it uh, because it was well known to everybody that they are the leaders of the generation. They're the, you know, they're the Gdoledo, and that's why. But as far as for a person to be, for, for a convert to become a Dayan today, a convert can become a Dayan today. Uh, there's no prohibition against it. Uh, there's a prohibition for a uh, convert to be king. That's not allowed. Uh, but, uh, but as far as to be a Dayan, they're allowed. It's just that... Uh, they didn't uh, make uh, the converts uh, dayanim in most cases because there would be different issues. Either 
the biggest one being the fact that uh, the community uh, would usually have a much more difficult time accepting the judgment of somebody that used to be an idol worshiper. Uh, but in the case uh, of uh, of Shmaya uh, Naftalion, their holiness and, uh, and 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 knowledge and just simply their uh, dedication to Hashem and His Torah was uh, unfathomable, unchallengeable, uh, and to the point where the entire community, entire nation, begged them to do it. Uh, so that's the uh, difference. It wasn't an exception that was made for them. It was literally they they made the case for them because they were the leaders. Um, is anyone else not getting notifications on Facebook for the lectures? Yes, the notifications are, uh, you know, unfortunately getting worse and worse. Facebook has been censoring us already for the last three years. Uh, three years uh, they've been censoring us. They limit us more and more on a regular basis. We've tried talking to them, calling them, paying them, doing everything possible to fix it. Unfortunately, to no avail. Bezat uh, Hashem will give us a uh, different tool, or, or you know, or do something of a miracle to fix it. Literally, I've spent endless hours trying to fix the uh, the situation with Facebook, but they're simply wicked, wicked people. Uh, I'm surprised, Baruch Hashem, that we're still able to even do something and using them. Uh, but uh, as you've seen, the uh, the uh, the numbers on Facebook have uh, stayed the same already for a few years, uh, and in fact, have gotten worse. Uh, and it's not because we're less popular today, or you know, it's just because we're being censored. Where the the Bezat Hashem page, they do not allow uh, you know the the page to grow. They've been leaving it at the same exact number for three years now, while the rest of our channels and the rest of everything else has grown literally like five or six hundred percent. Facebook numbers, as far as likes and everything else, has stayed exactly the same throughout all of that time. Uh, and uh, so much so that it's, 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 we figured, okay, you know what, let's pay for it, let's do some advertising, it's, it's, even if we do it, it's just they decided to put us on a, uh, on a list. I even had uh, one Facebook representative uh, mistakenly read my profile out loud. He didn't realize that he was uh, uh, reading something he wasn't allowed to until it said on the end of the thing, don't tell this to the client. <laughs> Uh, but in so many words, what they're doing is they're shadow banning us. They're shadow banning us, and that's why there's uh, uh, less donations that have been coming out. By you know, I think the donations went down like 90%. The views have gone down. Everything has gone down, but we're still operational, Baruch Hashem. But uh, as far as to fix it, uh, you know, only Hashem can do it at this point. We've literally done everything within our power to do it, to fix it. We've called them. We've sent them letters. We've uh, literally we've advertised even just just to, you know maybe that's gonna fix it. Spent tens of thousands of dollars, efforts, everything possible, nothing, nothing. Uh, and uh, aside from a big waste of time. And what's happened now is that a lot of people don't actually get uh, uh, the uh, unless they specifically go and check our pages, uh, our Bezat Hashem page, or my personal profile page, or Rabbi Frimes page or uh, my personal page, uh, unless people go check it, they won't even know that I'm posting. They'll think that literally I stopped posting on Facebook already for two years uh, because they don't get the notices. And even we ourselves don't get the notices. Like, for example, sometimes, you know, Robert Frank does a uh, video every day and we are there online. We have the Facebook whole thing open, waiting to get the notice that when he's live so we could start sharing it and putting it everywhere else. We don't get any notice. Like literally, unless we go specifically searching it on his everything else directly there, 
it's like you have to find it by miracle and it's the same thing with with, with mine it's a uh, it's like you have to have like special merit apparently to watch our lectures on Facebook these days uh, but I'm hoping that Hashem has mercy on us and on Am Israel uh, to, uh, to 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 fix the situation or or give us a better tool but uh, until then we'll see what happens I mean uh, TikTok for example is something we started using recently uh, Hashem, it's a completely different and new crowd that's the good thing the bad thing is is that anytime I say something that is a uh, you know that's uncensored like what I said today immediately somebody complains and they shut me down immediately and they take away access and it's just a big headache so it's like it's a fantastic tool so long as you don't say anything that uh, you know that is a uh, uh, you know too much truth for people uh, and, and you never really know what where, where that is because you know now today was the uh, homosexuality stuff uh, they've done the same thing to Ephraim but then a few weeks ago it was when I spoke about the Israelites uh, the, uh, I spoke about the Israelites somebody complained TikTok automatically listens to them and uh, and you can appeal but many times the appeal goes on deaf ears and then take away your access they can shut down your account so I mean this is unfortunately part of the uh, cost of, uh, of of doing business if it was up to me I wouldn't use any of this stuff I would just use my app and just publicize everything on my app the problem with that is that the app is good for people that already know who we are but it's not good for us for for people who don't know who we are so that's the thing with Facebook I can't stand Facebook I, I don't I don't go on Facebook I, you know I just I think it's a big waste of time but it's a great place to post information and for other people to see it uh, so we do it because it's a fantastic place to you know to uh, get more new people new faces uh, to watch the lectures to read the the, the different write-ups and so on uh, when it works but now when we have pretty much our hands tied behind our back and we have so much censoring the the value of it has, has gone down exponentially but it's still there there's still a little bit of value left and we'll continue uh, doing whatever we can using it uh, so long as there is some value in it so long as there is some value in it uh, just because again if even if I have to deal with a lot of headaches every day uh, with Facebook shutting down our pages and all this different stuff or TikTok or all the other things I know that if we keep that extra effort and uh, get tortured but one Jew does chuva as a result of it it's worth it uh, times a million so that's that's what we do it but as far as if it was like I, uh, uh, for business purposes I would have shut down Facebook and all of these other social media sites a long long time ago but it's not for business it's, it's for, for the sake of saving people uh, let's see. Next, uh, how is able to sing for Yaakov if it's forbidden to listen to a woman's uh, voice uh, and deduce pleasure from it? Okay, so this is actually something that uh, we spoke about in uh, last week. I think last week's parasha, we talked about the different laws of the kolai shayelva. The voice of a woman is forbidden; uh, it's considered a lake, nakedness unless it's a uh, direct relative such as the daughter granddaughter is considered like a daughter or your own wife you're allowed to listen to them sing but if it's a uh, any other woman then you're not allowed to listen to them sing uh, question by Jack Eliyahu said that a slave a woman a Gentile can obtain Wachakodesh so in all fairness it's fair to say that Hashem performs miracles for Gentiles as well as uh, as well if they connect to Hashem uh, there's one correction there Hashem performs miracles for everybody even if they don't connect to Hashem in fact if you look at the 
uh, Ramban, Nachmanides, on the uh, beginning of Parashat Bo, uh, he says that a uh, Jew uh, has to know that every single thing that happens in this world is supernatural, everything is a miracle, there's nothing that is non-miraculous, and anyone that thinks that there is miraculous and non-miraculous has no share on the God of Israel. So, so many, in so many words, the Ramban uh, tells us that everything is a miracle, which means that everything is done for the Jews, everything is done for the non-Jews, everything is done for the wicked, everything is done for the, for the righteous. You know, the fact that you take the, uh, an apple, a steak, ice cream, uh, chicken, uh, I don't know, uh, salads, and all these things, and ingest them, and they all come out the same exact way. They all come out in the same pattern. They all go into the right part of your body. They don't go into the breathing section. They don't go into your arms. They don't go into your legs. They all come out of the body. Uh, That's not miraculous. The fact that you have two balloons, and those balloons are able to, to see everything and record everything that you see better than any camera could ever do. The fact that you have this supercomputer that has more wiring in it than, uh, than a, a wiring that would require to circle the universe uh, you know, in, in one brain, even if a person is not smart. Same exact wiring. The, uh, the, uh, the amount of uh, uh, miracles that are in your digestive system, in your blood system, that your blood knows uh, when it needs to defend itself, when it needs to defend the body, uh, the, or when it needs to clot, when it needs to come out. Uh, you know, who told it to clot? How come if you take a, a, a you know a bunch of clot from a bunch of blood from somebody, and uh, as a donor you put it in a bag, the blood doesn't clot, it stays liquidy. But if you cut him, if you cut a person, immediately the blood starts clotting. Why? Why is it? Why is it not clotting then and clotting here? Who told it to clot? Is there a microprocessor connected to the uh, to the blood? Yes, it's called Hashem. It's called Hashem. Same thing with the, uh, the, the, the nervous system, the neurons, all of the atoms, all of the different things that make up the human body, all of the things that make up the universe. is an endless a, uh, amount of miracles in nature uh, in order for it to exist. So everything is miraculous, and it's literally for everybody. The fact that there is a, uh, you know, here, one of the things that, you know, coming from a business background, one of the things that always impresses me is, 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 uh, is commerce, is, is capitalism. How? Literally, you have, uh, you know, uh, shopping centers all over the world, you know, in Israel, in America, you have these shopping centers, this group of stores, and, you know, sometimes you go into these group of stores and, you know, you see that the parking lot is, is empty aside from the employees, but yet everyone more or less ha- makes enough money to pay their bills, to pay the rent, to pay the employees to, to eat. How? How does, how, how does everybody even know that these, there's, these stores even exist? How is there the one guy that's selling an ice cream, another guy is a laundromat, another guy is, I don't know, selling paper, another guy makes a whole business out of selling Q-tips or selling thumbtacks. Like, people actually make a living from things that you would find ridiculous, but they make a living. Uh, And we're not talking about, oh yeah, because of marketing. Marketing wasn't always like the way it is now. So, but yet there's enough money for everybody to eat. There's enough sustenance coming from Shemaim. There's a, uh, a story that I love you again, one said that his, his, his grandfather was a uh, tzaddik. He was a Baal uh, Ruach HaKodesh. He actually got a, uh, to see Eliyahu Navi once. Anyone that saw Eliyahu uh, is is a special person. And he says that when he was uh, younger and he uh, worked in one of the mountains, they, uh, 
took one of these boulders and uh, they broke it, you know, they had to break the boulder. And he says, in the middle of the boulder, you're talking about a huge rock, like, you know, like one of these beach rocks, huge boulders, this mountain rock, in the middle of the boulder. There's no holes in the boulder. It's, you know, it's like uh, granite. Okay? So, in the middle of it, there's a little hole. There's a little hole. And in the hole, there was like a worm or some type of bug. I think it was like a worm of some kind. Alive. And in the hole, there's a little bit of water. Literally, Hashem made sure that this worm has enough water to sustain it for his entire life. For whatever reason that he had it inside this boulder. So if Hashem can feed that worm inside a rock, certainly that's a miracle, but it's no less than a miracle than the fact that Hashem feeds you or feeds me or feeds anybody else. So everything is a miracle. And it's not uh, just the supernatural stuff or what we would consider supernatural because what happens is, is that many times people are, uh, get used to miracles and then they call it nature. So they call rain nature. But in reality, rain is miraculous. Rain doesn't really make any sense. If you understood how rain works, uh, it, it, it's truly miraculous. Now, most people know that there is the evaporation of the water, whether it's the water from the ground or water of the, uh, of the ocean. But what most people don't know is how clouds are made. How is a cloud make? Now, clouds are made by just a grain that can either come from a volcano eruption or a grain from a sandstorm or a grain from gas emissions a little grain that floats in the air and then eventually this water that evaporates goes into this grain and it grows and grows and it becomes a cloud now this sounds ridiculous that's how clouds are that's how that's what now this cloud is not a regular thing this crowd is a train that takes a huge amount of water from one part of the world to wherever Hashem wants to take it that could be literally a thousand miles away. So if Hashem wants to transfer an endless amount of water from Florida to New York, He doesn't need to rely on some water company. All He does simply turns on the heat, has a little grain of sand, go from wherever, whether it's a volcano, sandstorm, gas, uh, you know, the, the pollution, whatever it is, in the air, shh, fills it up with water, here you go, first class shipment to New York, rain is coming, what? That's how, that's what it is. Now, if that's not a miracle, what's a miracle? Now, most people, not only do they not know what I just said, but they look at a cloud and say, oh, it's pretty cool, like, What's so miraculous about a cloud? Oh, maybe it looks like a dog. Oh, maybe it looks like a cat. Oh, it looks like a transformer. That's miraculous. No, that's, the miraculous part is what is a cloud? Where does it come from? That's what we call. So the more a person understands the, 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 the beauty of the creation, the more they understand how literally there is nothing that is not miraculous. Nothing that's not miraculous. Everything is miraculous. Everything is miraculous. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, 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 of the creation. That the creation is a testament to the divinity of the creator, to the uh, to the infinite wisdom of the creator, and that's uh, that's the that's the beautiful thing, and uh, that's also why 
the uh, uh, the punishment for people that are ungrateful for all of these miracles that Hashem gives them is so severe because literally Hashem gives people an endless amount of miracles endless amount of miracles to allow them to hear to see to eat to procreate that a putrid seed turns into a human being that's not miraculous I remember speaking to one uh, uh, one doctor uh, and uh, and um, she uh, she told me uh, somehow the, the whole concept of religion came up and she said I don't understand people that don't believe in God and I said why I said I see God every day anytime anytime somebody sees how a baby is formed there's nothing more miraculous than that and as a woman that you know delivered many many babies and you know she's a well-known doctor so it's, it's, it's literally anybody understands how a human being is formed it's, it's there's nothing more miraculous than that so people that don't believe in God it's by choice it's not because of knowledge it's simply by choice they don't want to believe in God because believing in a creator means that you have, it's obligates you it obligates you so the miracles that Hashem creates are literally endless and that's what the Rambam Ramban Nachmanides these rights in Parashat Bo and uh, this is also something you could see uh, learn more about in Chovot Alevavot uh, the first 150 200 pages uh, address everything that uh, the philosophers and atheists can possibly bring up and destroys it uh, in the, the most uh, extraordinary way and of course many many other things in there it's a, it's a sefer one of the foundations of uh, uh, you know Musar teachings in Judaism from Rabbi Nubachia from almost a thousand years ago uh, so yeah highly recommend it. it's a very very high level sophisticated book but Baruch Hashem it's a uh, it's had a lot of bracha a lot of people have uh, read it and uh, certainly it's uh, the most famous chapter is uh, Shara Bitachon the, the the gate of uh, confidence Bitachon and Hashem but there's certainly other teachings in there uh, that uh, can address uh, even much more extensively than what I just said uh, let's see all right, here we go. Todav, for the opportunity of Torah, please question. How to do, how to do with a parent that says that has improved the lining to the true of Torah, but still sticks to anger, blaming on uh, advarim, refuses to get a rabbi himself. Uh, a person that says that they are Torah observant, but you know doesn't have a rabbi doesn't under, that means that that person does not understand what being Torah observant is uh, you know one of the one of the most you know important parts of being Torah observant is to actually have somebody tell you how to do what you're supposed to do and not to rely on your own opinion even Shlomo Melech writes it in uh, Proverbs don't rely on your own understanding uh, you have to have a rabbi and if a person says yeah no no but I read the books and the sages tell us who says that you're understanding what the sages said like so so that's the thing a person that does not have a rabbi the Gemara in multiple places says God hates him why because this person is so arrogant that they simply assume that they know more than everybody else and they could literally be living a mistake their whole life but thinking that they're righteous so a person that does not have a rabbi has a very very pr- big problem with God more than anybody else that's number one now a person having uh, uh, character flaws 
uh, that's all of us. All of us have character flaws, and the, uh, so it's not a sin to have a character flaw so long as a person is working on himself to fix himself. But if a person doesn't see the chova be'atzmo, as the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, and Adam chova be'atzmo, a person doesn't see the obligation himself, the deficiencies himself, meaning he doesn't think of himself as an angry person, even though everyone's scared to be next to him. He doesn't think of himself as a cheater, even though all of his customers cry home after they deal with him for five minutes. They're all victims. They're not customers. Uh, you know, some, some wicked guy, uh, 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 Slifkin, Slifkin announced uh, recently, oh, we uh, almost have 3,000 subscribers. I, almost, I was almost inclined to, to send him a mail saying, no, don't call it subscribers. Call it victims. You almost have 3,000 victims. That's what you have, not subscribers. They're victims because you're teaching them falsehood and, and her- heresy. But anyway, the, uh, I, I contain myself. Uh, but the, the point being is, is that you know, a person doesn't think of himself as a cheater, but yet all of his customers are victims. He cheats all of them. He lies to all of them. But he'll call them, no, no, that's my customer. Customer, You're cheating the guy. That's not a customer. It's a victim. So if a person doesn't see that and it just lives a lie, then obviously this is a very, very sick person. And the Gemara says that a, a pers- even if that person knows a lot of Torah, but has bad character traits and doesn't, doesn't see that, nevela srucha tova mimenu. A dead animal in the middle of the street is better than him. Now, does that mean that this person, uh, uh, you, you need to divorce him? No, you, but you need to try to encourage him to, uh, to change. Uh, try to get him to listen to a rabbi, to meet a rabbi, to, to, to uh, get a rabbi, to get somebody that uh, he will uh, respect and listen to everything that they say. Because if a person does not have a rabbi, they will never, ever get to a point of righteousness. They will never get to a point where they fulfilled their tikkun in life. People that do not have a, a, a rabbi are, are simply, uh, um, you know, they're digging themselves a grave. They don't understand how, how valuable a rabbi is. Literally, a person, if a person understood uh, what having a rabbi is, like a real rabbi is, they would give their lung for that. They would give their lung for that. I, I tell you guys, you know, sometimes I tell you guys about myself, I, I, you know, just to give you, not to uh, make myself seem better or anything, but just because I figured that a lot of people deal with these issues and maybe they could learn from some of the things that I do uh, right or wrong. Put it this way. Having Rabbi Ephraim, to me, is no less of a miracle than Yam Suf, than Mount Sinai. Uh, and I don't mean like it happened 3,300 years. Every day. Why? Because I know that I have a source of truth. Now, it doesn't matter how many books I've read and I learn and I teach and all that stuff. I have a source of truth. Anytime that I'm wrong, anytime that I've questioned everything, I have a place. I have somebody that I know, knows for sure, better than me, more than me, has my best interest in mind, and I could ask him any question, and I could, uh, and I know that he's going to tell me the truth. He's not going to uh, uh, do things to appease me in any way. And uh, and this is something that, to me, is, is, has been the, the biggest transformation more than anything else, because my whole life I was the leader. Everybody listens to me. Everybody respected me. I was the guy that had the money, and da-da-da. And even though people still do that to a certain extent, uh, you know, but it's not the same thing. Why? Because now when people, somebody listens to me, they're listening to what the Torah says. I'm just simply preaching it. I'm telling you what the Torah says. In the past, they would just listen to me just because I was the guy that was the boss. So now, when I know that whatever I say has a source, that's that's something that I know I could take that to, to heaven. If I know, if, if I go up to Shemaim, when I go up to Shemaim, and they ask me, why did you say this? Why did you do this? I only have one answer. This is the source. 
This is a source. I learned this from the shiur from that I had with Rabbi Ephraim. I learned this from the book that uh, uh, over here, and Rabbi Ephraim said this book is good. I, this is something that's great. Now, to me, what is that worth? Everything. Everything. Everything is it's worth. So that's why I invest everything I possibly can into that relationship, which means that whether it's money, time, effort, everything that I possibly can, I've put into that relationship and will continue to put into that relationship, which means that if Rabbi Ephraim tells me, which happens at times, it's four o'clock in the morning, I'm tired, I'm, I need to go to sleep, I finished a long day of work, I want to go to sleep, Rabbi Ephraim sends me a message, hey, you feel like learning? Feel like learning? He has an opening, you feel like learning? Baruch Hashem? He's getting a yes. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. I could be learning by myself. I could be sleeping. I could be doing a lot of things. What's the answer? Yes. Why? Because the Gdola dog wants to talk to me. The Gdola dog wants to, 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 to teach me. Am I insane to, 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 to say anything else other than, than, than yes? Now, money is needed. If, if I have to sell my lung to get money for whatever reason or another, by all means. Why? Because again, I understand what value my rabbi makes for me. Now, he gave me an opportunity and continues to give me an opportunity to get to heaven every day. The problem with most people is that they don't see their rabbi, needless to say, rabbis in general, as such people. And they'll even mock everything that you said. Oh, he idolizes them. I'm not idolizing anybody. I, I, I trust me. I know where I stand. I have very. It's, it's it's simply people don't understand the value of a rabbi, and this is why the Torah says it's in, in, in a, when it comes to uh, the laws of um, uh, uh, how to treat your rabbi versus your own father. If there is a uh, uh, lost wallet, your father lost the wallet. The rabbi lost the wallet. Or your father was uh, in, in prison, your rabbi is in prison. Who do you free first? Your rabbi. Your rabbi, you free first. Your rabbi, you get the wallet first. Unless your father is Talmud Chacham. Why? Because while your father brought you to this world, the rabbi is the reason why you're going to eternity, why you're going to heaven. No, it's not my father. No, it's not your father. It's the rabbi. That's what the Gemara says. A person that teaches a person Torah, he is becoming a partner with the Creator Himself. He can, he's considered like He created him. Now, do you think anybody considers their, their rabbi like He created him? No. Most people are obnoxious. More, most people are disrespectful. Most people, they could literally take every single ounce of your energy, every single ounce of your effort, your money, your time, your, your, your resources, your everything, and after they took everything from you, they'll spit at you in your face and say, no, listen, I have a different rabbi. I learned from you enough, I'm going to learn from somebody else. Or they think they're doing you a favor because they're, they're sending you a few shekels. Oh yeah, no, I'm sending this rabbi a hundred bucks a week, so you know, he, he owes me his life. Like People have no concept, they have no idea. Like Literally, if you took every single penny that you have in your bank and you gave it to a, to a real rabbi, someone that's your rabbi, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. Every penny you ever had from the beginning of, of your life till the end of your life, and you lived in debt your whole life, you gave it to the rabbi, a real rabbi. If I took every single penny I ever had, and I gave it to Rabbi Ephraim, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough to pay for a single day. Now most people think I'm insane. Why? Because they don't know what a rabbi is. 
Who knows what I'm saying? People that are real tell me the Chachamim. People that have real Yirat Shemaim, people that have a real rabbi. Now, most people don't know what a rabbi is. People know YouTube. People know Google. People know videos. Today they like this rabbi. Tomorrow they like that rabbi. Today they like this book. Tomorrow they like that book. You know, people shop around. Like they change shirts. They change rabbis. They change opinions. They change everything. Why? Oh, listen, I listened to him for a while, but then he said some things about homosexuals. I don't like that. Even though I'm not a homosexual, still I don't like how he talked about homosexuals. You know, today, I listened to him, but I don't like how uh, he talked to me a lot one time. Oh, what did he say to you? Oh, he rebuked me. He said that uh, I'm wrong. Maybe you are wrong. Well, I was wrong, but still, I don't like the, you know, I don't like it. And that's the thing. People have no concept, no concept of what they owe their rabbi. They have no concept. No concept. So, if I tell you that you have to give up your life for your rabbi, people think, well, are you crazy? What am I, some uh, security guard for, 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 for the president? No, it's much more. So much more but that's the thing if a person understood what a rabbi is it wouldn't even it wouldn't even dawn on them to do anything contrary i have people that literally i know that I've, I've helped them convert like this is like even more than like this is you have tshuva and conversion pretty much you created a person person was going to hell for sure either because he's an idol worshiper or he's an idol worshiper either idol worshiper is a jew or idol worshiper is a non-jew you helped him get on the right road. He now has a chance. She now has a chance to go to eternity. Now, these people, technically speaking, they owe me or whoever made them do tshuva everything they have. And it still wouldn't be enough. Why? Because the only reason why you're going to heaven is because of what happened. You know what you get instead? Cursed at, yelled at, disregarded, ignored, mocked, backstabbing but we still do it do you know why we still do it multiple reasons one we serve the creator we serve akadosh bahu and we know that akadosh bahu misses his kids akadosh bahu misses his kids so if i could serve akadosh bahu what could i possibly give him nothing the only thing i can do the only thing i can do is exert whatever efforts and energy and health that he gives me to try to bring his kids back home that's the only thing i can do for hashem nothing else the mitzvot is for me the torah is for me everything is for me the only thing i can do is bring my father in heaven bring my creator being bringing bringing a kadosh bohu his kids back so that's the first thing we serve hashem number two we know his kids are stubborn and sometimes foolish but they're still his kids just like anyone that has kids kids are annoying sometimes they don't want to go to sleep they don't want to eat they're disrespectful you just gave them a present they don't want it kids are kids but guess what if you're a good parent you're gonna invest as much as possible into that kid why because you love that kid he's your kid he's a piece of you so these are Hashem's kids. And to, in order for us to show love for Hashem, we have to love His kids. Yeah, but they're stubborn and they're obnoxious and everything else. Yes. And guess what? You are too. And I am too sometimes. And I, that's the way we all are. But that's why we have the Torah. So we're here to serve Hashem. And we're here to save His kids. And one of the other reasons is because we know that 
So long as a person does not know the truth, they're like a blind man walking in the darkness. That blind man or woman doesn't know that they're walking in darkness. That's all they know. Now they may think of themselves as religious. They may even think of themselves as a scholar. But in reality, they're walking in darkness. Now, if you know that he's walking in darkness, you know that she's walking in darkness, and they're pretending like they see colors, but you know for sure they're walking in darkness. You're going to make fun of them? No. You're going to mock them? No. Get angry at them? No. Why? You feel bad for them. Poor guy is pretending to see colors even though everybody knows he's walking in darkness. Yeah, but he's ungrateful and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's terrible and he's stingy and he's this and instead of you know, supporting the cause, he's supporting somebody else's cause and instead of uh, giving you the time, he gives somebody else the time or something else the time. Yeah, he's walking in darkness. She's walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness. They think they see colors. But they're walking in darkness. So part of your Abudat Hashem, part of, part of our servitude of Hashem, is to understand that we need to bring Hashem's children back. We need to be patient with them because they're his kids and that's our expression of love for him. And there's no reason for us to be upset at them because they're walking in darkness. It's like being upset at somebody that is mentally deficient or disabled in some way. You can't be upset at them. Somebody's missing arms and legs and you tell them, run over here. And obviously they can't. It's no different. Person's blind. He thinks he can see. He thinks he's powerful. He thinks he thinks a lot of things. Now, of course, this takes a lot of work and effort and patience and prayer and crying and maybe ripping out a few hairs out of your head once in a while. Yeah, sure. No, and it's uh, you have to if you, if you want to do kiruv successfully, you have to get used to a life of agony and people breaking your heart and people backstabbing you and uh, people uh, betraying you and people literally people people you saved you saved you took them from genom genom do you guys understand what genom is anyone that wants to have a concept of genom go watch the movie and that's like one percent of one percent of one percent of what real genom is you took them from there and now they're on the right path and what do they do they have uh, an event where top conversation making fun of you making fun of you now these people they're poor people now yeah you could say it's frustrating how could they do it they're poor people they're poor people they're miskenim why they don't know how to they don't know how to say thank you they don't know how to appreciate they don't know what kind of risk they were in they don't even understand what what you did for them they don't even recognize the truth when it hit them in the face they don't know they're poor people they're almost like tragic cases because if they do this to you what do you think they do to Hashem you're a living person right in front of them. You saved them. You put them on the right path. Instead of saying thank you, instead of literally being willing to give, give you their heart. They don't even know how to say thank you. And instead of that, they make fun of you and they do everything else. What do you think they do to Hashem? Much worse. Much worse. But yet Hashem keeps giving them air in their lungs, food in their bellies, money in their pockets. Why? There's kids. And that's it, Rabbi When a person understands what having a rabbi is, 
they literally are going to understand what the Torah says about your obligation to your rabbi. And maybe, just maybe then, a person will start understanding a little bit of what their obligation is to their creator. But until then, they have no concept of not this one and not that one. And they're just walking blind and you just have to cry for them and pray for them and hope that one day they wake up. That's it. It's like somebody being in a coma. And we all wake up out of that coma. And if a person knows what I'm talking about right now, they're nodding their head and they're thinking about which, which lung they're going to give to their rabbi, how quickly they're going to give their heart, how much money they have in the bank to give. Their, what, what can they do to say thank you? What can they do? And they realize that if they gave everything, including their life, it wouldn't be enough. Why? You gave me eternity. Eternity. Do you know what eternity is? A million years is not the beginning of eternity. Be'ezat Hashem. We will one day understand what it is to have a rabbi will merit to have a rabbi and most importantly will merit to learn enough from that rabbi to connect to our creator Shavua Tov Shavua Mevorach to everybody for the rest of the week thank you for learning with me Baruch Hashem we're going on almost three hours hopefully this was as uh, productive and inspiring for you as it was for me. And Bezot Hashem, we will see each other again next week. Kotu b'chav ha'azlacha, ba'uch Adonai le'olam, amen ve'amen.